It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From everywhere USA, it's Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. It's the best of Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. Here we go, here we go. Coming to you sort of live from the greatest country in the world. It is Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. Fired up to bring you this Memorial Day best of where we salute, where we honor, where we remember all the brave men and women who gave their lives for this great nation. This show dedicated to all of them and their families uh, who have sacrificed so much so we can enjoy the freedoms uh, that we do take for granted in a lot of ways every single day, but not on this show. If you are a man or a woman who threw on the uniform, if you are a brother or a sister, a mom or a dad or a son or a daughter, this show is absolutely positively for you, and we will spend this day honoring you and yours with proud patriots like my first guest here today who knows so much about the sacrifices being made by not only the armed forces but their families. Uh, he is, of course, a superstar representative from the great state of Florida. He joined me in Florida when we were down at CPAC, kept his sunglasses on for the whole interview because he's that cool. In fact, so cool that when he and I got off the air, we went to commercial, and when I came back, his 10-year-old son had taken over my show and did five minutes of radio without me. That could only be one man I'm talking about, the superstar of Congress, one of the fastest rising stars anywhere in politics, the great Byron Donalds, joins me now. Good to see you, man. It's good to Happy see you. Happy CPAC. Oh, man, it's great to be at CPAC. The energy is already live. It's going to be an exciting weekend, I'll tell you that. It's so bizarre because there's a lot of great people here. But the vibe, even though, you know, you would think America would be a little down given the situation in Ukraine and what's going on here domestically, but there's a lot of optimism here, like a stampeding herd of humanity. And would you not say, just purely on a, a human level, that the difference between the two parties is optimism versus, you know, what are we mad at next? Oh, it's without question. I think that, you know, the conservatives here who've descended on Orlando in the freest state in the country, without question, you know, even the Canadians, they want to be in Florida, too. <laughs> and listen, no jokes, but listen to the Canadian people. We are so sorry you're having to deal with um, with uh, Castro's illegitimate son. Wait, did I say that over the air? I shouldn't have said that. Anyway, but no, the reality is people are here. They're excited. They want to be passionate about conservatism. They love this country. And they're, they're, they're optimistic because they know that when they're free and they can choose for themselves, the sky is the limit. They're not waiting around for some leader to tell them what to do. They do it for themselves. Thank you. Byron Donald's in the house. If you're just joining us, we're at CPAC. I agree with you 1,010%. And uh, I've only been here, like, a little bit less than an hour. That is actually why I'm dressed like this. Like, I always have swag, but mm. I just came in from Dallas because we were doing Gutfeld. So you know me, so it's cool. But most of the security entourages assumed I was trying to sell drugs to their politicians. <laughs> so I appreciate you kind of validating me in this moment. Uh, I'm but, not even going to touch that one, America. No, no, I got nothing to say. The man no has, comment. Are, are these your boys here, by the way, or any of these your guys? Yeah, man. So oh, Darren Donald. Yes, no, yeah. I know you dudes. You guys yeah. come up on the radio all the time. Look Hi. at him. There he is, waving to the Fox Nation crowd. How do you guys like CPAC so far? L living good? good? Have you hit the bar? Minute. What are you talking about, man? Get it, they man. get Shirley Temples, man. That's all they're allowed to get is Shirley Temples. Shirley Temples, you left me. I had to go follow 
you and like cancel my order. Stop it. Man, you ain't on the radio show, man. Back up. I'm sorry, man. My kids, they always trying to take this, they trying to take the shine. The Donald kids just taking over right now. You see what they get you see what they get it from. No, they do. You see what they get it from. No, they, they do. It that starts right. it starts at the top. That's all right. I understand they're now speaking at noon today, so I have to make this quick because your kids are taking over the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> they just they bump Donald Trump tomorrow. It's gonna be the Donald's kids. Uh talk about Donald Trump for a second. I yeah. do feel like America really misses his leadership right now. Yeah. And I feel like on some level, like when you look at Putin, okay. Uh, he sees the political, he sees the political cost weighing a lot heavier on Joe Biden's brain than the human cost. And I feel like on some level that's what's emboldening him the most, is when you see Biden about facing on whether or not he said sanctions were going to work, or even somebody like John Kerry saying, I hope you don't forget about the environment while you're bombing Ukraine. How do you take us seriously if you're Vladimir Putin? Hard to do, no? Uh, he doesn't. Yeah. Because the West and, and the, the idiocy of progressivism has left the European countries and America in a bad spot. Vladimir Putin knows, oh, yeah, you want to sanction me and you want to try to hold up some of my money? That's cool, but you're going to go buy my oil anyway, so I'm going to get the money back and I'm going to get what I want, which is Ukraine. Yeah. So we're, we've put ourselves in a bad position. Secondarily, Joe Biden is not a leader. Mm -hmm. He might be president, but he's no leader. He should be leading our European allies. He should be setting the pace about what our response is going to be, not waiting for unanimous consent from the European nations before he moves forward. Because the Europeans are stuck between a rock and a hard place because they got rid of all of their regular energy exploits so they could be green, yeah. but then they go buy the dirtiest oil on the planet from the <laughs> Russians. I mean, this is the, the nonsense that the progressives are taking us to. But this is just so everybody listening at home understands this, okay? Basically, what the whole environmental movement has become is let's just not get our hands dirty. We're not actually cutting emissions. We're not actually cleaning up the planet. Nope. We're just saying we'll export the dirty work to somebody else. And the issue is, in this instance, that somebody else isn't necessarily our friend. So do you believe, as I do, that America as the world's energy leader would make for a safer world? Is there any argument against that? It, there's no argument against it unless you're a crazy liberal who <laughs> thinks that we don't need oil and natural gas and even coal. If we were the leader in energy, which we have every capability to do, except the political will from the Democrat Party to keep it a reality, then we wouldn't have these problems, especially with the Russians. The Russians wouldn't have the economy, let alone the money, yeah. to make these advances because the West would basically look at them and be like, uh, who are you? When did you get here? We have no nothing to, to take from you. Yeah. So we'll let you know when you're allowed to move, not the other way around. Oh, uh, wouldn't that be nice? We're talking to Representative Byron Donalds down at CPAC. If you're just joining us, and, you know, now we're going to be hit probably with higher gas prices. And you know one of my frustrations is there. So obviously I'm a former cab driver, so I have great empathy for people who drive every day because it really hits their pocketbook. Right. But what about people like my producer, Mikey, who like to sniff gas? Does anybody ever think about them in Congress? Nah, man, we don't think about that, Mikey. Matter of fact, you might need rehab, brother. That's, that's, that's low quality, Mikey. We can't do that, man. But no, but no, serious, no. We, uh, listen, the fact that Americans are going to be hit by this and the fact that Joe Biden's response is the strategic oil uh, reserve mm -hmm. while also trying to bash oil companies. When he's supposed to be talking about Russia yeah. and Putin, but he's going to bash oil companies. I mean, like, this guy just simply is out of touch. He is the wrong man at the wrong place at the wrong time to be the leader of the free world and unfortunately the american people suffer as a result listen i'm going to put you down as a maybe on joe biden D that's it 
<laughs> You're the best. Uh, did you speak yet? What do you got coming up the rest of the way? I spoke earlier today. Oh, that's what that roar was. Mikey, we heard a roar. Yep. And yeah. we're like, oh, yeah. we, we, yeah. all right, because we were trying yeah. to figure out who would get that roar. It was like the Lion King, you know, when they came out with, <laughs> you know, it was, it came out, you know, but it was cool. It was a good, the crowd is excited. Like I said, they're ready to go. You know, but, we talked about socialism and, mm -hmm. and coming to our shores mm -hmm. and a battle for the future of our country and a battle for our kids uh -huh. in this, in this fight. And I think we could win that fight, but we got to be committed. We got to go all in. I mean, we got to dress like Jimmy. Stop it. If Thank you. Get, if you're going to get the young kids to take us seriously, man, this is what you got to do. You got to bring the swag back. That's, That's right. what I'm saying. Right. We are now the party of, of swag. Well, this is a really interesting thing. I wanted to ask you about this because yeah. you and I always talk in sports metaphors. You are, for all intents and purposes, one of the hot first round draft picks in the Republican Party right now that really mm. is mm. putting a new face on the party mm. in terms of the energy of the party and, and, and who the party is attracting right. is the younger crowd now, like a younger, cool, hip happening crowd. Right. Um, do you see your class as, I don't want to say the future of the Republican Party, because obviously you are, you're given the status that you hold, but do you, have you been able to fully process the reach that you guys already have? Like, does coming here tell you that? Do you see it on social media? Like, where do you recognize, like, holy hell, I'm a playmaker? Well, I, you know what? I'll tell you that, you know, our class coming in, yeah, we're the future of the party. That's without question. You know, I always, you know, could never understand the liberals in the media who would say, oh, the GOP is this old white party. Because if you looked at state legislatures all across the country, uh -huh. they were young, they were diverse, they were they were talented, mm -hmm. uh, they were charismatic. Yep. You're now seeing that filter into Congress. Yep. And so I think that where I really understood it and see it, like really manifesting is when I go through security, man. I talk to C TSA agents. Oh, yo! The TSA guys will pull me on the side. They'll be like, hey, Byron, man, <laughs> like you're doing it right, man. We love you, man. Keep going. Yes. And when you see regular Americans just yes. come up to you, that's when it means that it's really resonating. It's the people. That's, that's what right. it is. It's Always. the people. Well, congratulations on that. I'm, I'm also now at a point in my life where if someone asks if I'm Jimmy Fallon, I can say yes. In the past, just now. In the past, they were like, "Are you Jimmy Fallon?" I'd just run for it. I'm like, oh, <laughs> "Yo, I owe this dude money." You know. But now I'm like, "Oh yeah, that's me." Oh, you watch TV? Yeah, that's yeah, great. Yeah. So uh, here's the two good uh, sophomore years and junior years. You're playing good ball, champ, and you got apparently some pretty good fashion taste if you like my stuff. So man, I like your stuff, man. But you know who I saw in the back, though? Oh, give it to me. The best dressed man in Congress, Greg Stubbe. I Is saw him. Stubbe trolling around. Stubbe's here, and he was looking good in that. <laughs> Listen, that purple. Yeah. I, I, even, I looked at Stubbe, and I was like, Stubbe. Man, get away from me, man. I can't even stand you, man. Stubby comes in looking. Listen, he's coming in hot. He's pretty. He's very pretty. Like, he, what I mean is, you know, the he's gear. Like, he's like Yellowstone pretty. <laughs> Stubby's Yellowstone pretty, Greg, man. Greg, Kevin Costner, Stubby. <laughs> Made me buy it later. Byron Donalds, I love you, man. We'll do it again. Anytime. Have Thanks, your CPAC. There he goes. We're back after this on Fox Across America. Saluting those who gave their all on this Memorial Day. It's the best of Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now, you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you. It's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. 
Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. It's the best of Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. He is, of course, the opening act for a far bigger talent in the Donald's household. I, of course, am talking about give it up for 10-year-old Mason Donald's in the house. Hey, man, what's up? Good. And the CPAC crowd goes wild. Mason Donald's, ladies and gentlemen, his dad is, of course, Representative Donald's, is closing in on the state record for Shirley Temples. Is that true? <laughs> how many? Kind of. How many Shirley Temples have you had at CPAC so far? Is that real? Six, <laughs> I think. Yo, this dude has had, you're 10 years old. And two sprites. Six Charlie and two sprites. And uh, you look like you're jacked up on sugar. Are you about to run a lap around CPAC or something? This place is kind of huge. I don't think I can do that, though. Well, I don't know, man. A 85 sprites and 10 Shirley Temples later. I think you 85? might have this I never said that. I said, like... I said six. So you guys have to understand, the reason... Ma Add two is eight. M Mason Donald's barricaded onto the set and demanded to go on. And he's a really cool kid. But every time he talks, he does this rad thing with his hands where he's making circles and stuff. It's probably a much cooler interview on Fox Nation because they can see you. You know what I'm saying? They'll, yeah, they're looking at you right now with that crazy face you're making. Hi. And Mason Donald's is rocking a button that says Trump was right. <laughs> now, let me ask you this. As a kid, you go to school in Florida. What grade are you in? Fifth grade. Now, are most of your friends roll with you? Do they talk about politics, or do they just play an Xbox? No, we kind of just, like, talk and uh -huh. play, so, like, sticks if we're bored in the hallways when we're going to the bathroom. But you're not like my crazy son. Like, my crazy son is, like, doing Let's Go Brandon Chance in Homeroom. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. You got a better dad than my son. My son's a little nuts. I think the state's going to step in and be like, I don't know about this dad here. But if you're just joining us, yes, Mason Donald's is in the house. Uh, what's been your favorite part of CPAC so far? Is it the bar? The bar and, like, also, so we got this hotel. It's like a resort. It's, yep. like, actually kind of nice. They have, like, their own water park, a pool. Yo. And they have a hot tub. Stop it. In my parents' venue. Like, just Stop next to them, it. With pillows around it. Stop it. Wow, that's 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 the real deal. Uh, I, I think I even know where you're staying, because we're staying at a place like that. Have you hit the water slide yet? No, but I want to go home to see it uh -huh. and, like, try and ride it. Well, I will ride it. And yeah. I just want to have a good time well, while you're having I'm a here. Good, look at you. You're having a good time. You've got a crowd around you. You're a star on TV. You're making moves, man. Um, you, uh, let me ask you this, being, being your age and being a guy who's rocking out at CPAC and going on stuff like that, um, when the elections come, are you going to help your dad campaign or does he say, Mason, you're crazy, stay home? No, he's like, okay, 
Mason, this is so cool. You're the best son. Like, he's Oh, he's really... nice to you. He's very supportive. Yes. Because you got a really cool dad. I want you to know that. Like, mm -hmm. his, I interview a lot of people, and a lot of politicians are really boring. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're like, here's my little speech. But your dad actually has, like, such a huge personality, and he can talk sports, and he can talk fashion. You actually, you do. You have a phenomenal dad. And mm -hmm. he's funny. Your, oh, your dad's really funny. Uh, but enough about his looks. <laughs> oh, I'm kidding. Look at me taking shot at Mason okay. Donald's dad. But really quick, before I let you go, your obligation, I do mean this, is someday uh, you will grow up. You have to be a cool dad like your dad. Remember how lucky you are. Not everybody has a cool dad. The fact that you do mm -hmm. is a big deal. So uh, someday when there are little Mason Donald's juniors running around, just make <laughs> sure you're as cool as your dad is, okay? Okay. Get the room with the hot tub. Don't be cheap. Your dad oh. is splurging. He's taking you to the good hotel. I don't want to catch you taking your kids to some ratchet motel. You know what I'm saying? Yes. All right, you're going to represent for the kids? Do we have a deal? Yes. Because you are the youth of America, but the next youth of America will be counting on you is what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. All right, was this your favorite radio interview ever? Yes, and also, I've been on the news once. Yo, baller. What were you on? Do you remember? Um... So well, then this was the best one. If you don't even remember that one, just give me the gold medal right now. Oh, okay. I'll give you the gold medal. Thank you. The gold medal is mine. Mason Donald's fist pump. We'll do it again soon. There goes See the ya. great Mason Donald's, the legend. Hey, good luck with your Shirley Temple record. Okay. Finish up strong. Uh, one of the things Mason Donald's and I did not get to uh, that we do have to mention really quickly because we're talking about vacations is... <laughs> Yo, he was dope, man. He was great. <laughs> Yeah, he gets it from his... Byron Donald never stops talking smack. He's off the air. His kid has just left. He still wants his props. This is Joy Behar on The View lamenting the fact that with war raging in Ukraine, her vacation plans are up in arms. The View is awful. Listen to this and try not to die of embarrassment while you do. It's clip 22. Estimates are 50,000 Ukrainians will be dead or wounded yeah. and that this is going to start a humanitarian crisis, a refugee crisis in Europe. We're talking yeah. about 5 million people yeah. that, that are going to be displaced. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's heartbreaking to hear what is going to happen. Yeah. Well, I'm scared of what's going to happen in, in Western Europe, too. Yeah. Ah. You know, you just, you plan a trip, you want to go there, I want to go to Italy for four years. I haven't been able to make it because of of uh, the pandemic. And now this, you know, it's, yeah. it's like, who's going to, what's going to happen there? Yeah. Yeah. What would you do with a brain if you had one? Did you hear that? It's like, yeah, you got the bombings going on in Ukraine. And now, you know, all of us people who want a vacation in Europe, what's going to happen there? Joy Behar. Oh, my God. By the way, if anybody wants tickets to The View, they're $25 to get in and $500 to get out. It's just the worst show in the world. It's just the worst thing that's ever happened to this country uh, is idiots like this. And I say this all the time. Every problem we have in this country is not a crisis of capability. Oftentimes, it's a crisis of confidence. And what I mean by that is we have a lot of stupid people in charge. I say it with crime all the time. We have the greatest cops in the world. We don't have a crime problem. We have a stupid problem. The cops could stop crime tomorrow if you let them. But stupid people got elected and flat out said that the cops pose a bigger threat to the community than the criminals they're sworn to protect us against. Mm. Now, I know that's not true. You know that's not true. But there are people in elected office in this day and age that would argue with us. And that's one of the biggest challenges facing us, is that the people, like, on The View, you know, the reason we toss to their clips a lot is that is the mindset that dominates the modern liberal party. It is a very self-absorbed, self-righteousness quest to hold some type of moral high ground, some intellectual high ground. 
and tell you why everyone else in the world is awful, but they're self-absorbed selves. That's what's going on right now. Did you hear it? I'll play it again really quick. Josh, drop that one more time. Estimates are 50,000 Ukrainians will be dead or wounded, yeah. and that this is going to start a humanitarian crisis, a refugee crisis in Europe. We're talking yeah. about five million people yeah. that, that are going to be displaced. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's heartbreaking to hear what is going to happen. Yeah. Well, I'm scared of what's going to happen in, in Western Europe, too. Yeah. Ah. You know, you just, you plan a trip, you want to go there, I want to go to Italy for four years. I haven't been able to make it because of of uh, the pandemic. And now this, you know, it's, yeah. it's like, who's going to, what's going to happen there? Yeah. yeah. It's people with a dirty mind that think like that. Oh, I can't make it to Italy! It certainly sounds like you've made enough trips to the Italian bakery, so calm down, but that is just so embarrassing. Kaylee McEnany back next. It's the best of Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. It is Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon bringing you a Memorial Day best of broadcast dedicated to all of the brave men and women who threw on the uniform and sacrificed so much for this country. At the end of this episode today, you can catch me on The Five. I will be making my debut on The Five for a special viewer mail edition of the show with Dana Perino and Kennedy and Geraldo and Tyrus will be in the house. But right now, batting leadoff in this moment, the former White House press secretary herself, Kaylee McEnany who joined me down in Florida a few weeks ago, and she joins us now. We have some Fox News royalty joining us now. This woman was last seen with myself on The Gutfeld Show in Dallas. We're two of the only people who made the TV on Gutfeld this week. Kaylee McEnany in the house. Give it up for Kaylee McEnany. Thank Yay. you. I had to put in earplugs during the Gutfeld episode because I, man, I had to like go to confession after hearing your comments <laughs> on Gutfeld. There were some things said on the Gutfeld taping that might not have been admissible at the regular Bible meetings, but it was Gutfeld. It was Dallas. We play it's loose Gutfeld, ball. It's Dallas. I thought you were telling me you had to put in earplugs because my shirt was too loud. It was. So. Yes. <laughs> okay, I, don't too. Have, I don't have to take this McEnany. I open the hour with you. Who's no, tougher to on you, you, Gutfeld or me? Well, you want to know something? Gutfeld just took a critical blow in the last last hour, Byron Donald stopped by to say, I'm the best dressed guy in cable news. And you want to know something? If you were backstage, uh, and I know you were, after the Gutfeld taping this week, a pretty prominent executive in the company came into the dressing room in front of me and Double G and was like, I love your shirt. Yes. And I'm probably banned from his show now. <laughs> He's going to be so mad to kill them. Me, you we know have... you say you like someone's shirt when, like, you have nothing else to compliment them. So oh, that might have been it. I'm kidding. I'm Hold kidding. On, yo, I gotta, I'll, yo. Get her out. Get her out of here. Even, Trump, even Trump's I'm mad. totally kidding. I, I love you, you know, I like the tough love. This is amazing. <laughs> You're saving me a trip to the dominatrix tonight. This is actually great. But anyway. <laughs> Kaylee McEnany in the house. You're just joining us. Happy CPAC. You just did outnumbered from CPAC. I did. Is it not so much fun because it's so different than what we're used to? You have like a crowd. It's like, it's almost like playing a professional sport. It is. Look, I mean, I started the week at Gutfeld where there's this massive yeah, audience, yeah. Uh -huh. like so energetic in Dallas. Then mm -hmm. hop on over to Orlando, Florida. I mean, yeah. the energy, the conservatism. I told you, you wouldn't find progressivism here at CPAC. And that, <laughs> well, you want to know why? This is the thing. I was talking to Byron Donalds about this. We are now somehow, we are the party of fun. Yes. We're a good time party. And you know how they say in life, like, your attitude defines your experience? I think that's the biggest divide between the two parties right now is, like, victorhood versus victimhood. Yes. Victorhood, we can do it. We're the best. Victimhood. Oh, the deck is stacked. Systemic everything. And I just think it's such a terrible way to go through life. And I'm going to go out on a limb and, you're, and say you're raising baby Blake. 
with victorhood in mind, no? Yes. I mean, look, I, I think I've told you this. I think I told the Gutfeld audience, like, one of her first words was mask. I mean, how sad for a childhood that, that like, this is, she only knows COVID-19. And yeah. I mean, yes, I'm raising her to be in an environment where, guess what? You get to go to school. You don't have to wear a mask when you go there. Mm -hmm. And you can enjoy life. And I think there's going to be a generation of millennials who wake up and, though they're traditionally liberal, say, hey, you, you stopped my college. I miss my college years. I miss my young professional life because yeah. you closed down businesses. Think about that. Although, to some extent, if you miss a couple of years of college these days, it's probably the best thing for you because you hate the country a little bit less. That's true. <laughs> you owe a little bit less money for yeah. that gender studies degree. Yes. And I'm not here to disparage gender studies majors. They are some of the finest baristas this country has to offer. <laughs> They're making wonderful coffee at Starbucks after they graduate. But if you're just joining us, Kaylee McEnany is here. We're down at CPAC. We're on location. And I do think we spoke about this a little bit uh, on Gutfeld the other night. One of the worst things that ever happened to Joe Biden which is what they assumed would be one of the best things, which was getting Donald Trump off of social media. But it really was uh, done, it became such a detriment to Democrats because we're actually focusing on the substance of their leadership. And uh, I don't know if you heard, Kaylee, it's not the best. No, I, look, they, there was an Axios article out this week. Mm -hmm. You read it, yep. I assume. Oh, I assume you read the rundown the before you go on the I'm, I'm more, show. I'm more of a pictures guy, but yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, well, you heard about it yeah. if you were listening and paying attention. <laughs> um, you know, Democrats can't find their boogeyman. It used to be President Trump. That's falling flat. So they decided to target the MAGA base. They've thought about Ron DeSantis. What does this tell you? They don't have, like, a, a proactive, positive agenda. They have to find a bad guy to defend the guy in the basement. And that, But that's the whole thing. It's like if you're running for office, not on who you are, but against some other metric, that's an admission that you have nothing. Right. You know, if you, everyone's heard the story of, like, someone setting you up on a blind date, and you're like, is he good looking? They're like, really nice guy. You know what I mean? How's he look? Oh, wonderful personality. He's hilarious. And they're clearly avoiding the fact that he looks like a circus attraction. That's Joe Biden's record. It's not pretty. So they don't want to talk about the look of the record. They want to talk about, well, could have been the other guy. And I think we're at a point now where everybody sees through it, and we're in a bad spot. And, uh, you know, not speaking as like a conservative, just speaking as like an American who roots for the country. Like when Ukraine happens and you hear someone like John Kerry saying like, hey, if you could please think of the environment while you're bombing civilians. Right. Like, uh, that, that we can't be taken seriously. You know what I mean? Right. It's crazy. And that's my bigger concern is that we miss the type of leadership that people respect. And I think the Democrats have given us a huge opening if uh, the party doesn't screw it up between now and 2022. So your job is to keep all these leaders away from the bar for the next couple of hours. <laughs> I love that that's my job on Outnumbered. Well, no, <laughs> you, have an, you have an authority, though. Like, they'd, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't listen to me. I, I think they would. All Look, right. Jimmy, I got to tell you, you are so right. You mentioned the blind date. I mean, think about it. America basically is still on a blind date. You know, I mentioned the basement a lot, and I know we're past the campaign. But we elected a guy who we didn't know what he stood for. I mean, there yeah. were only two debates. He found his way out of one debate, tried to get out of two, using COVID as the reason. We heard from this man for very scripted amounts of time, very small amounts of time, perfectly woven together from the comfort of his basement as he wanted it to be projected to America. He wasn't out on the stump, out yeah. on the campaign trail, being confronted by voters. Mm -hmm. We're still on that blind date, and we're suffering failure because of it. It is. It's, it's, it's very scary. If you're just joining us, Kaylee McEnany is in the house. We're at CPAC. Uh, Lisa is filming us. Hi, Lisa. I see you. There's a lot of cameras flying around. There's a lot going on. Pictures, carrier pigeons, somebody's doing <laughs> card tricks. It's a fun place. I see a donkey over there. There's a donkey over there. Uh, and it's the one thing I can't uh, emphasize enough about people. If you've never been to CPAC, 
if you're on the political fence, because a lot of people who listen to the show are. Because, you know, one of the hooks of my show is if you listen to me talk for three hours a day, you come away from it assuming you too could get a nationally syndicated talk show. So a lot of people are here for the empowerment. They're like, well, I think that guy <laughs> is getting paid in Tide Pods and cheap tequila. Maybe I could get a gig too. But the truth is, a lot of you are getting a first glimpse into what CPAC is and what the conservative movement is. We really are the optimists. We really are the people who love the country, believe in American excellence, and root for the country regardless of whether or not everyone in this country agrees with us. We're not the people that want to ruin you or deny you the opportunity to make a living if you don't agree with us. We are, for all intents and purposes, I hate to say it, but we are the cool kids. We are. We are. I mean, there's no, you can't argue that we're not because, again, the other side of this is the guy who wants to take your job away, who wants to get offended at a joke you told five years ago. You're never going to be at a party and go like, oh, I can't wait till the guy who gets offended at everything shows up. Yeah. And that's who we're against in this moment, which by default I think makes us cool. It's right. Um, you know, CPAC, if I could sum it up in one word, it's passion. Uh, I've been coming since I was in college. I went to my first CPAC. I was literally a kid in college at Georgetown University. I consider myself a nerd. I take that <laughs> with, a, with a badge of pride uh, because I was just obsessed with politics. And I went on over to CPAC. It was in Washington, D.C. or just outside of Washington, D.C. And I found a whole lot of people who love this country who take days out of their schedule to show up. Uh -huh. And we are the cool kids. In addition to CPAC, you got to get down to Turning Point USA when Whoa. Fox Station goes there. Whoa. Because those are actually kids. There's kids here, too, but it's all kids. <laughs> but there's the thing. They're totally cool. My, my producer, Mikey, isn't allowed within 500 feet of a school. Oh, would, then we've got would, problems. I would imagine that extends to school <laughs> trips. You know, there's a reason we can only have Charlie Kirk on over the phone. <laughs> it's like, Charlie, we'd love to have you in person, but Mikey's ankle bracelet's going to go off. What are you doing to Mikey? I'm Man, Mikey, I'm doing nothing. Nice I'm trying to clean up up his act over here. Yeah, no, we love Mikey. Mikey's the best. He's a legend. That was low. No, it was. That's what this whole show is low, Kaylee. It's a good time. We just said we were the fun people. Um, let me ask you this. As Kaylee McEnany, you know, because you said you've been coming to CPAC since you were a kid. I would imagine the reaction to you being at CPAC has changed a little bit over the years. Only a tiny bit. I mean, I was a very well-known junior at Georgetown. <laughs> you know, did a couple of big keg stands. I had respect on campus. But uh, coming here now, uh, having played such a vital role in, in such an important and historic and consequential presidency, does it give you, like, more pride? Or on some level, are you, like, prided out? Are you exhausted? You know how they say people who work weddings for a living actually hate you on your wedding day because it's just, like, another day? Have you gotten more of this political Holy Spirit or this American Holy Spirit? Or on some level, would you admit it's just you and me talking? Nobody's listening. Uh, <laughs> have you come back to earth a little bit? No, I, I got more of that spirit. You know, not to get all emotional on you, Jimmy. But She's going to sing Lee, I, Lee Greenwood right here. She always right, does. Whenever right I give here, her wine. Right here, right now. Yeah, the wine's under the table. We got some Sauvignon <laughs> Blanc, Kim Crawford. No. But, um, you know, I had a passion and a love in my heart and, you know, the work ethic to put the bones behind all that and you know that's why I went to CPAC as a college kid and you'll walk around here you're gonna see kids from all over the country mm -hmm. who they are here they're yes. not out you know doing keg stands in Costa Rica over the weekend and oh. partying you know they're <laughs> at CPAC because they they're the same you know little Kayleys or you know little whomevers that little are gonna grow Kayleys. up to have a, wow. a, a great role in, in Folks, this movement so. if there are a lot of little Kayleys it's a good time to invest in a vineyard Buy yourself a winery. I yeah. kid. You're the best. But no, I do think, and I, I love talking to you about this, because we have interesting stories, completely different ones. Uh, but the point is, we represent, you know, the modest successes that we've achieved. Everything that's great about America mm -hmm. is we were not here. To everyone listening at home, we were exactly where you are. 
person listening at home. We had ambition, we had a work ethic, but best of all, we had America at our disposal. And this is a system that can be gamed endlessly in terms of upward mobility if you just want to work. And that's the whole key to America, is we live right now, for all the people disparaging it, this is the most tolerant and inclusive society in the world. It's just also the one society that offers an unlimited possibility of life. And I think we just need to get back to that core message because a lot of people are selling a version of America that doesn't exist. Like, we're the rich kids who don't get why everyone yeah. wants to hang out at our house. That's yeah. the Democratic Party. They're like, why does everybody want to come here? It sucks. Yeah. And I'm like, well, have you been to their house? Because it's right. not here. You just know? look at what's happening in Ukraine and those yeah. poor people taking arms to defend their country. And you look at the blessings we have here um, and the opportunities we have. You know, I came, I was very blessed, the family I grew up in, but they weren't involved with politics. So my, I make that point to say, um, though I was blessed to have a great mother and father, you know, I made my way in the political world. And you're going to meet people here who are going to do the same. You know, future press secretaries, maybe a future president in here, mm -hmm. future radio host pundits oh. i mean these are kids with passion in their heart these are adults with love for their kids and that's why they're here and that's the american dream that you can make your way um, despite not coming from a political background or if you came from humble beginnings make your way in this great society every day every day what kaylee is saying is there are so many people in the position you the listener are in that are making an incredible life for you for themselves and yep. that's what i think we should be focusing on more than anything is uh there is an opportunity that exists in this country that really gets taken for granted. And I think the reason our party is achieving, really, and I think the reason we're so poised in the midterms, aside from the fact that, you know, Biden is polling behind the Omicron variant, I mean, he's not doing the best right now, yeah. uh, is because we speak to that spectacular possibility of life. And yes. I think that's the gig. And, and we have freedom. And here's what's scary is when you get to a point in society, it was Reagan who said, freedom isn't passed along in the bloodstream. Well, that's clear because there are people who are describing using the term freedom with the trucker Yay. protests uh -huh. as far right. There are people, CNN said they're fighting for freedom, whatever that means. Um, well, we see what, what, what happens when you start to devalue freedom, when you don't stand for it. We had a bunch of freedom fighters out there in Ukraine who are standing up for the freedom of their country. It doesn't come free. You can't take it for granted. Yep. It's not going to be here every day. We live in... The, one of the freest countries on earth, but we got to defend that and we have to proclaim it. So spot on true. And uh, honestly, like your words have inspired me so much that I would run for office. Thank you. We'll accept that they do this us. thing. Yeah, well, the, and plus there's this thing called the background check. <laughs> so that's uh, one of the shortest campaigns in history. Uh, but Kaylee McEnany, this was epic. I, I could add to that rap sheet if I could tell them some of the crimes I saw you commit in Dallas. Yo, things went on in <laughs> Dallas. I'm not going to lie. Uh, I'm not proud of that behavior. Yeah. But again, I mean, listen, it was an open bar. It was. And, and, and uh, you know, you bring it, this is the thing I don't understand. And everybody standing here can attest to this because most of you have met me by now. Am I not like the most normal person in the world? Okay, I'm very normal. And so as a normal person, when someone like, oh, the former White House press secretary invites you out for a drink, <laughs> I don't know that it means a drink. You know what I'm saying? Like she's literally going to have a drink. I'm showing up with a funnel and a toga on because that's what I come from. So I'm at this party with Kaylee and the cast and all the executives. And, you know, they're having one drink and, like, talking about the news. And I'm like, who wants to go on my slip and slide? Out of control. <laughs> so, yes, if this is the last time Fox ever lets me out in public, I, I appreciate you being a part of it. Hey, I had multiple drinks. I just do to stack, not stack the cups, throw them under the table. <laughs> Pro <laughs> move. Kaylee Mack and 80. Hey, did you ever have a wine before a White House press briefing? Lord knows you had one afterwards. I can say I never did. Really? Yeah. Well, you... It would have made the Acosta, you know, conversations all that more fun, though, right? <laughs> well, probably spicy. The, probably <laughs> the only way a woman is talking to Jim Acosta is if she's got a few in her. So you might <laughs> be one point. of the rare exceptions. There you go. Kaylee Mack and 80, the legend. Happy CPAC. Thanks for this, babe. Happy CPAC. Thanks, back, Jimmy. back after this on Fox Across America.
Remembering those we lost, protecting our freedom on this Memorial Day. You're listening to the best of Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. It's the best of Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. And joining me now on the show, damn good friend of the program, he is the GOP's Deputy Communications Director, which means he's in charge of settling up the bar tab at the end of this thing. <laughs> Nathan Brand in the house. Yo, Nathan Brand. Hey, good, good afternoon. Happy to be here. It's a CPAC time stand still. Yes. It really is like a political casino. You know how they don't have clocks in a casino? Hey, you've got the jacket. I know your listeners can't see it, but you're looking great. <laughs> hey, thanks for that, yeah. man. You know, Byron Donalds was just talking to, to, about my fashion. You want to know the truth? As I dress loud because it distracts from my glaring lack of intellect. Wow, it if works. You, you wear loud fashion. Everybody's like, well, this guy knows what he's talking about. Look at him. He must be onto something. Folks, I have no idea. You could, uh, none, none at all. But uh, I'm pumped up to be here. Uh, it is an infectious vibe, is it not? Yeah. Oh, people are fired up. CPAC reminds me of like a slightly more sober Nashville because <laughs> everybody's like a passionate like American loving you know yeah. good feel, feel good guy or gal uh, drinks and, in hand yeah drinks in hand I'm not gonna lie and uh, there's a lot of uh, I gotta be honest a lot of like let's go Brandon merch on sale here a lot of stuff we're even selling it <laughs> I didn't know yeah that's how we're picking up the bar tap tonight. I did. Yeah. <laughs> that's how they yeah you gotta you gotta sell a lot of merch uh, I did not know until I got here just the extent of how big Let's Go Brandon is. But you know what's funny? I bring this up because I think one of the perils of being a boring president is if you do something egregious, it never goes away because there's not much else to talk about. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like when Donald Trump would say something nutty on Twitter, we didn't think about it long because he'd say something else the next day. Yeah. Biden really doesn't. He has the public schedule of a groundhog. Yeah. So on the rare occasion he comes out of the hole and sees a shadow or calls a shadow corn pop, it's yeah. going to stick, yeah. you know? So do you find as a communications director for the GOP, uh, you probably have an easy job right now, or is it still hard <laughs> given how contentious the world is? Oh, some days uh, it, he makes it too easy. And I we like to say we're pretty good at what we do, but uh -huh. he makes it very, very easy. <laughs> You're playing in the weakest division in sports? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. All right. But we are, we're having a blast, though, and we're uh, and folks here at CPAC are fired up, which yes, will they translate are. to November. And, yes, they are. These yeah. people vote. These yes. are not people who skip elections. These yeah. are people that are not, not looking for a drop box. These they're, are people that are going to stand in line. They're volunteering. They're recruiting folks. They are the folks that are on the ground getting people to the polls. Yes, they'll show an ID at the poll without calling you a racist. Exactly. <laughs> these are just good old-fashioned Americans. Uh, we yeah. need to clone these people. We do. <laughs> I got to tell you, I tell my story a lot on the radio. You know, obviously, I used to drive a cab in New York City, and now mm -hmm. I'm doing, you know, pretty all right. And uh, I, the reason I beat it to death so much is I really am trying to remind people, this is what Kaylee and I were just talking about, mm -hmm. We have all hit the lottery if you live in this country. Yeah. And I think that's just the message we're trying to distill. As, as, as Certainly in your party and in my party um, is that I want everybody's party to be America, but I don't think everybody's party is America. No, not at all. You know, and, and that's frustrating. Yeah, and the folks on stage, it's been the message has been clear. Freedom, freedom, freedom. Heck, we're here in Florida, in Orlando, because of freedom. Thank hey. you. Yeah. A free country. Yes. Where, I, you know, I'm in, from in New York. you got to wear, like, eight masks. Yeah. But most people are, like, Jets fans, so they want to cover their face in public. <laughs> you know, they don't mind putting on the mask. Put it on the paper bag. Yeah. I don't yeah. want anybody to know it's me. You know what I mean? But for COVID purposes, no, nobody should be wearing a mask. Yeah. Because to bring it to football... Uh, the prevent defense only prevents you from winning. But in the next hour, we will try. We've got a superstar war correspondent who retained from, uh, returned from Ukraine to spend a little time with your radio buddy. Plus, South Dakota Governor Christy Noem made her debut on this show recently. And we will recap exactly that when we come back on Fox Across America.
from everywhere USA. It's Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. It's the best of Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. It is Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon bringing you a special Memorial Day episode of the show dedicated to all the heroes who put on the uniform. Today we remember you and we thank you for your sacrifice and we thank your families who have sacrificed so much to give us our freedoms. Uh, when this episode ends today, you can catch me on The Five making my debut on that very fine program, a program that will be in fact dedicated to the troops as is this one. But joining us now in this hour, a moment uh, we had a few weeks back with the governor of South Dakota, who made a phenomenal debut back in January, and she joins us again now. It is Governor Christy Noem. Well, I have to say, you know, we are, of course, heard all over uh, the Dakotas, North and South Dakota, and I've been dying to get out there and visit. My only concern is when I show up to South Dakota with a New York accent, everybody just assumes I'm in the witness protection program. <laughs> Not anymore. I mean, we have a ton of New Yorkers that have moved in in the last year and a half. Um, California, Washington State, Oregon, we're used to people with, with funny accents showing up now because they all came <laughs> here to move their families because they want to be free. It's amazing the amount of people that, that have come to South Dakota because they, they want to be like us. Well, well, that's the fascinating thing, and I was going to ask you that. Okay, you you're doing, you know, it's you know they say like Throwback Thursday. Uh, you guys yeah. are doing this Throwback Thursday thing called Freedom, uh, which we don't have a lot of in the blue states like the one I reside in. Uh, I wanted to ask you: Do you feel a sense, any sense of validation, in that you were criticized pretty aggressively at the beginning of this pandemic for not being as pro lockdown, as pro mask, as pro trampling the Constitution as everybody else? So is there a sense of validation and that the people that were in the states that were being lauded are now flocking to you no i mean i guess maybe i still have a little ptsd because it was <laughs> it was really it was it was real really it was so rough because honestly i think everybody in the world uh, you know was raining down on my head back then even mm -hmm. here in the state everybody questioned my decisions even in my office people questioned my decisions you know my team did because I was the only one doing it. We we literally did not close a single business or even define what an essential business would be because I didn't believe that governors have that authority. So, um, you know, right now we are, we are at a historic point in South Dakota's history. We have never been as strong as we've been in our 133-year history. We Our economy is booming. We're growing fast. We Our population has grown nine times faster than the national average uh, since I've been governor. And that's what we needed to do in order to keep taxes low and to keep our infrastructure in place was we were losing people and we turned that around now. But um, I just I we have so such incredible challenges coming from the federal government that it seems like I went from dealing constantly with covid taking. 100% of my time to COVID, still taking 50% of my time and now trying to fight the federal government. But what, yeah, it's true. Uh, if you're just joining us, South Dakota Governor Christy Noem is on the line. One quick thing I wanted to talk about uh, as it pertains to COVID is your state uh, was cited for, you were rated number one, in fact, for limiting 
the amount of learning loss in children during the pandemic, which is an issue. We've been talking about this nonstop on the show. Um, I have, I'm a parent. I have mm-hmm. one son. Uh, the state would never let us have two. They saw the first report card, and they were like, you know what? You guys should get a dog. <laughs> I don't think you two should breed ever again. Uh, but, but maybe, maybe in South Dakota. <laughs> you guys limited loss. So I wanted to ask you this. Um, you 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 would say then uh, obviously you guys prioritize the well-being of the children are you almost surprised though that has been this brazen effort in other parts of the country to put the children second because I don't think anybody could argue that the children have not come first in big places like Chicago you know I have been on hundreds of hours of phone calls with other leaders with health officials in the administration and you know they condescendingly tell me well, public health is the number one priority. Saving someone's life is the number one priority. Nothing ranks as high as, you know, keeping them healthy and this virus away. The problem is, is that thinking it's flawed is that this is a virus. And they've never. we know for a fact that we can't stop viruses. We can slow them down, but we can't stop them. And they aren't balancing that with quality of life and uh, mental health and behavior issues. And our kids, Uh, did the best in the entire country because they were in their classrooms. Uh, They were learning from their teachers. Uh, Very few of our school districts, which we still left some decisions to school districts, very few of them, I told them to be in school, but very few of them mandated things like masks. I think we had a handful of school districts that did that for a short period of time. But, But they just decided and knew from common sense, I think, out here in the Midwest that our kids needed to be able to learn as much as possible because it's such a formative portion of their life right now is when we need to capitalize on their ability to grow and to to learn and to to turn into the kind of individuals that can make their dreams come true yeah it's a great point and i wish more people prioritized such things but i I don't know that they did and i do think though that the Democrats have kind of ceded education uh, to Republicans, you know, and this is something that dawned on me yesterday when we were watching your state of the state, uh, is that you were pushing back pretty vocally anyway against critical race theory, which is something that has united parents uh, against a lot of what had been going on in classrooms. Uh, I don't think it benefits any kid to get told that they're an oppressor or that America is a big racist hellhole. And uh, I applaud you for speaking out on that. But again, that was uh, the second question I wanted to ask is what is the end game with schools that are teaching something like this because it's not to your earlier point helping kids grow and learn to be self-sufficient and make their way in the world it's incentivizing victimhood like on some level are you concerned that we're just making too much currency for victims as opposed to just encouraging people to achieve yes and I would say that when I've ran for governor in 2018, one of my major points I ran on was putting more civics and history in our classrooms. That was one of my campaign points that I said I would do if I won governor. The first year I was sworn in 2019, immediately went into session on the in the beginning of January and brought the bill and Republicans killed it. Republicans in South Dakota killed it because they thought it'd be too hard for schools and teachers to try to add more to the curriculum and we shouldn't change anything. And now, so for me, it's wonderful to see everybody waking up and parents paying attention and school boards paying attention. And how this happens in our country is that people don't pay attention, is that they don't pay attention. And these school districts have school board members that 
all have full-time careers. They show up for a school board meeting once a month. The administrator brings them recommendations. They don't even pick out the curriculum. If there happens to be one teacher or two, all of the recommendations coming out of education at the national level, they all push hard liberal curriculums. They just do. If you were to go search and try to find a curriculum for a high school social studies class, nine out of ten of them would be liberal-leaning in the language that they use, the tone that they use. And so even for a teacher who is well-meaning, that doesn't necessarily mean that they get uh, have real good objective eyes to see what's happening when they're picking a curriculum to teach, that it isn't setting an agenda. And they've slowly done this over the years until now we see that it's gotten so bold, they've been able to whittle away at it, that our kids are learning socialism. They're learning Marxism and racism right in the classroom because the rest of us were, you know, everybody was out busy running their lives and not paying attention, just thinking they could trust that these curriculums were not pushing that kind of an agenda in America. Yeah, that's a really great point. If you're just joining us, South Dakota Governor Christy Noem is on the show, classing up the program. Um, we're talking about this pushback against CRT. Were you kind of surprised that a lot of people have taken the stance that parents don't have any say in their children's curriculum, which to me is mind-blowing, just as from a strategy standpoint, telling parents to shut up, specifically moms, by the way. Never, never ends well yeah. for anybody, no? <laughs> Yeah, it absolutely is. And I think they think they can do that because maybe parents haven't been so vocal in the past. It's such a switch. It's such it a crazy. switch. Because we, we have, you know, we have a pretty good group of parents that drop their kids off at school and then don't necessarily have to worry about them so much. And then all of a sudden to have that parent showing up and saying, or, you know, another group of parents showing up, getting upset about something is strange because... You know, that hasn't happened in the past, and they, they thought they could get away with telling these parents, this isn't your role. This is our job. Take care of our kids. When for years they've been hearing parents say, you teach my kids. It's your job to make sure he learns math. Don't send him home with that much homework. I, I can't help him with this. You're the expert. Then all of a sudden they started to think they were the experts and they knew more than us and started to think they could tell parents what to do. It's, it's crazy. I mean, it, it takes a lot to make me feel smart. But when I saw that strategy, I was like, you know what? I'm smarter than somebody because whoever came up yeah. with this wasn't thinking. Well, um, listen, and here's the, here's the whole problem with what we're dealing with in this country is that leadership has consequences. Mm -hmm. Leadership has consequences, and who's in those decision-making seats really matters. So if somebody listening to your program today is upset and angry, with, I had this discussion with my mom last night. My mom was uh, upset with an elected official. And she was complaining to me, and I said, you run. Christy, I'm 76 <laughs> years old. I said, I don't care. You run. I mean, that's the problem, Mom, is that everybody complains about stuff. Nobody ever does anything or steps up and runs. So yeah. I said, you run. I mean, that's the thing in this country <laughs> is, is that we grew up with a generation that didn't think somebody else should do their job for them. They got up every day, went to work, and gave us a life that we're better off than they are. And, and did it themselves. So I think that, you know, my mom honestly is thinking about it. But I, I, think, it's, <laughs> I think that everybody on this program should say, you know, maybe, maybe I'm complaining too much and I'm not doing enough. That's, listen, that's a great point. And just so your mom, your mom has no excuses. Tell her the president right now is 105 <laughs> years old. Okay. She yeah, can't sit out at 76. That's the one she's coming. So if you see a, Corinne for president, that's Christy's mom. We're just a vote, vote for Christy's mom. 
Everybody wants to know if I have a sister. I have a sister, but it's my mom who's the one who wants to take on the world. <laughs> well, listen, she's got a shot. Joe Biden's in his late hundreds, so your mom will be okay. <laughs> She'll That's do okay. True. Um, give me this really quick uh, while I still have you here. Uh, apparently, if we're heading out to South Dakota, uh, another thing that's attracting people to the state is they're no longer going to have to pay for concealed carry permits because you're, you're doing away with them, correct? Yeah, like I think we might be the first state in the nation that says if you want to exercise your Second Amendment rights in South Dakota, it's not going to cost you a dime. I mean, we're going to no per, no cost for permits. We're even going to pay for your federal background check that you need. So. Um, I think that this is because we're doing so well and because we believe that we have to stand for our rights and freedoms and constitutionally protected liberties that we're going to back it up with making sure that anybody who wants to come here and and do that, that we're not going to charge them for it. Oh, I, listen, uh, people would be all over that. I know the people listening here on the New York side, you know, we're all over the country, Fox Across mm-hmm. America. The people in New York can't even fathom that. Like, we, you yeah. can't buy a Nerf gun in New York without, like, five background <laughs> checks, six permits. It's a mess. Oh, my uh, but, wow. but then I have to ask, though, because a lot of your ideas do resonate all over the place. There are obviously going to be rumors about you pursuing an even higher office. Is there any world where you could placate your mom by just letting her assume the governorship and you run for something? <laughs> Something bigger. Well, I got to get reelected to be governor uh, this year, and I'm, I'm hoping South Dakota keeps me. So I'm hoping they <laughs> approve of the job I did. They want to hang on to me. I, I, I just we're doing so well, and we've got some things that we've got to finish here. That's fair. All right. So tell Corinne, no scandals. Don't blow up the campaign on us. <laughs> That's okay. exactly right. That's exactly right. <laughs> yep. I listen. I, it, I have one of those. Put a filter ahead, I'm sorry. Yep. I, well, that's the problem. I have one of them. I have one of those moms. That's my mom. My mom, there's no, there is no filter. And my mom's mom had no filter. My mom's mom got to an age where she was just done. She pulled the goalie. You could walk in and be like, hey, grandma. And she'd be like, you got fat. And you'd be like, oh, nice to see you. Like, there was... <laughs> that's exactly my family. And then they, they would say that's me, that they all just were blown away when I was the one who decided to run for public office because they were like, you? You're going into <laughs> politics. You you say whatever goes through your mind. But um, I've learned to have a filter. But um, yeah, but my family about lost it because I was the first one in the family to run for office, and then I would have been the last one they picked. <laughs> <laughs> that's how. No, believe me, that's how it works. Right now, my whole yeah. family is nodding along at that same idea because I'm on the radio. Anyone listening right yeah. now? They're doing a double at the yeah. bar. They're like, "Can you believe Jimmy's that's on?" Right. That's crazy. Well, we'll start a support group for underrated siblings. Uh, Governor Noam, I did. I I love talking to you. Let's do it again soon. But best of luck. Keep up the good work out there, okay? You bet. Anytime, Jimmy. Thanks so much. Have a great day. Thanks, pal. There she goes, the great Governor Christy Noam from South Dakota, someone who could ultimately be primaried by her mom, Corinne. You know, Corinne's fired up, folks. I I know these women. Marianne Fela, fired up. She is not happy about the state of this country right now. Uh, We're going to turn things around, though. I feel good about it. Quick break back after this. Saluting those who gave their all on this Memorial Day. It's the best of Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. It is Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. Shout out to South Dakota Governor Christy Noem. Uh, who's doing this old school thing called freedom. Remember freedom? 
Get the government the hell out of the way. Just kind of live your life. They still have a little bit of that left in Pennsylvania. Joining us now on the line is Proof Brian in Clarion, Pennsylvania. Yo, Brian. Hey, thanks for having my call. I appreciate it. I have a quick comment about the hearing between Rand Paul and Dr. Fauci, in which the senator exposed through Fauci emails, you know, the tactics of uh, canceling and destroying critics of of our health policy. One of the, the, the scientists they're going after is Dr. Malone. And as you know, he's the father of adenovirus platforms. He's the inventor of the mRNA vaccine. What was really frightening to me is um, Dr. Fauci, the NIH, the CDC, the FDA did the same thing to Peter Duisberg in the 80s and 90s. He was a molecular biologist, the father of retrovirus research during the AIDS epidemic. He isolated the first cancer gene. He was very critical at the time of Dr. Fauci and the NIH and the FDA who pushed through AZD, AZT, a very poisonous substance with very um, limited scientific evidence, if any. And what's creepy is he wrote a book called Inventing the AIDS Virus, Peter Duisberg, and it was highly critical of those agencies. And watching what's going on today is almost verbatim of the Fauci tactic. They go on CNN and PBS and they they debunk any type of criticism. And these are from very... Um, important scientists, a lot of pioneers in their own fields. And I just wanted your listeners to know um, that this is the modus operandi of Dr. Fauci, the FDA. The same thing happened with AZT. They pushed it through. They said it was an emergency treatment. They had to do it. When AZT was a poison that was shelved in the 60s because of its toxicity and cancer research, it didn't even have a patent. The person who researched it shelved it. And Dr. Fauci and the NIH and CDC and the FDA all work together to try to get this pushed through. And it's eerily similar to today's controversy over the testing efficacy, the vaccine breakthrough cases. And the same thing is happening again. Anyone who criticizes... Yeah, uh, Fauci, they crush him. No, I, I think you made a brilliant point. I just wanted to be able to say that to you because we have a commercial break coming up. Uh, you, great call. I mean, you're almost too smart for this show, but I appreciate you checking in. It's the best of Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. Introducing the Rolex Vice Presidential Model, the watch that lets you track the passage of time just like Kamala Harris. Talking about the significance of the passage of time. Right, the significance of the passage of time. So when you think about it, there is great significance to the passage of time. The Rolex vice presidential model is so significant, we even made one for kids. And there is such great significance to the passage of time when we think about a day in the life of our children. The Rolex vice presidential model, now selling across America and coming soon to the southern border. We've been to the border. We've been to the border. You haven't been to the border. It is Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. You don't all rush out at once and get the Rolex vice presidential model. Kamala's awful with her weird laugh. Ha ha! Talking about sound bites, drops that we play on the radio. Fred Krieger 
Fred, I hope I'm pronouncing your name right, but he is on Twitter at Freddy underscore rock, at Freddy Rock. According to Fred Krieger, the top five sound bites I play on the show are, he says number one is, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. I've got to ask, Freddie, maybe you can respond to this. Is it Steve Harvey? You ought to be ashamed of yourself. Or is it actually Donald Trump that I play a lot from time to time? You ought to be ashamed of Secretary. yourself. Okay, the point is, uh, I, I need to work them in more in your honor. Uh, Fred says the number two best soundbite on the show is the Joe Biden bite uh, about this man needs a retirement home and a warm bowl of soup. This man needs <laughs> a retirement home and a warm bowl of soup. That one does make me laugh. He says the number three. Three best drop is uh, Trump discussing the state of education in our country. I love the poorly educated. And he says the number four is actually a Lincoln fail a drop. Are you the big man, Joe? And that number five is uh, another Trump clip, which is. Get him out of here. <laughs> Get him out. What is your top five? I would like to know. You can message me on Twitter or hit me up on the Fox Across America Facebook page. What you can't do is go anywhere at all because in the next break, Trey Yankst is a superstar correspondent here at Fox News just returning from the Ukraine is in New York. He's going to join me in studio. We're going to have a grown-up talk about all things Ukraine. And what I hope is that it does dish some perspective for everybody. You know, I was making this point earlier. Most of the people who listen to this show are in on the joke that you live in America. It's the greatest country in the world. You have hit the lottery by virtue of the fact that you were born here. There are so many adversities we don't face in this country comparative to the rest of the world. You know, we're not food insecure. You know, we're not in a position where, like, drug cartels are running things. I mean, they're kind of running our border, to be honest. It's not pretty. Uh, but for all intents and purposes, this place is a lot safer and, you know, spectacularly more prosperous than anything else out there. And we have freedoms here that we take for granted because we've had the luxury of not knowing just how awful the rest of the world is. And one of my resolute hopes in covering Ukraine for the amount of time we've been covering it is that the people out there, not yourselves, everybody who I've met at our shows, everybody who calls into the show, they get it. They're like, oh, America's amazing. We just got to protect it. We just got to let it be. You know, you leave well enough alone. And we're not saying it's a perfect country. We're just saying it's the best country in the world. And my resolute hope is in, you know, following stories like this and realizing just how extreme things get, just how harsh life can be on people who don't have the good fortune to live in this country. I'm hoping the people that are out there bashing it and taking it for granted every day you know, find Jesus a little bit late in the service. Because, again, if you're listening to the show uh, on Amer in America, you have, for all intents and purposes, hit the lottery. What can I tell you, kid? You're right. When you're right, you're right. When you're right. It's one of the biggest frustrations I have, you know, is when I do the show every day, and you know this if I'm messaging you at night, if you're messaging me on the Fox Across America Facebook page, which we're all welcome to do, uh, I do respond to your messages individually. Uh, right now I'm a few days behind. It happens. You know, I'll get, you know, four or 500 messages sometimes, and I want to get back to every one of them and not just reply with like a thumbs up. <laughs> like, hey, this is for you. You get one of these, you know? So I try to, you know, actually give you well thought out responses. Uh, but when I'm doing that, you know, the overwhelming sentiment on there is that everyone gets it. Everyone who listens to this show is in on the joke. And I'm trying to use this platform to be a force multiplier of that level of insight, of that level of perspective. Because if everybody in the country just got out of bed tomorrow and realized how lucky we were, they'd all calm down. You know, that's the biggest challenge facing us. So when I say every day on the show, you know, you could be a Republican, you could be a Democrat, 
you know, that whole thing. Be a Republican. Be a Democrat. Just don't be a When I say that every day, I mean it. If everybody could just adopt that as their working motto, just that. You can believe whatever the heck you want. Just be cool about it. You don't have to attack people in restaurants and cancel people, fight them online, all that stupid stuff, because it doesn't solve problems. And we got to this place in our country. It's a really dangerous place, but we definitely fight each other harder than we fight our common enemies. Like, that's my biggest frustration is, you know, a good example of that would be the coronavirus. You know, this was a common cause moment. It attacked people regardless of who they voted for. It had no idea who you voted for. Uh, But rather than saying, all right, all hands on deck, we've got a pandemic here. It's hit our shores. It's attacking everybody. Uh, let's band together. We didn't do that. We trained our fire on one another. And that's my biggest you know, frustration in this moment is I know how lucky we are. You know, I grew up in a place where it was instilled. It was actually beaten into me <laughs> that this was the greatest country in the world. I grew up in Levittown in a house full of cops. We happened to reside in the biggest uh, you know, post-World War II settlement for American GIs returning home from the war. Everybody I grew up surrounded by was a veteran. I grew up around a lot of old men. You shouldn't make a sudden move around. But they were great guys. They drank a lot of cheap beer, and they let you swim in their above-ground pools, played lots of wiffle ball. It was great. And I was like, wow, this place is amazing. Doesn't everybody get how lucky we are? But the truth is I I grew up thinking they did. And then I got into the real world, and everybody was like, this place sucks, boo. And I was like, what do you mean? And that's our politics. We live in an age of grievance, you know, incentivized conflict. And I just want to see people get back to a place where, yeah, they can have their issues. But at the end of the day, they understand how lucky they are. Because if you live here, and I do mean this, you are the luckiest person on the planet. You live in the world's 1%. And if you don't believe me, open up the Internet, open up the newspaper, and read what the rest of the world is doing. We're not going to sit here and listen to you badmouth the United States of America. It's the best of Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. It is Fox Across America with your main man, Jimmy Fallon, coming to you live from the greatest country in the world, broadcasting, as we always do, from the tippy top of Fox News headquarters in New York City. Joining us now in studio... Uh, man, oh boy, oh man, I don't know who he pissed off, but this guy just survived five weeks in Ukraine. And if that wasn't dangerous enough, they sent him to New York City. I don't know what he did to deserve this, but Trey Yinkst is in the house. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. I mean, really? Like, you didn't go through enough in Ukraine that you had to come here? New York. I always love coming back home stateside. <laughs> yeah, well, New York is, uh, I grew up here. You really find out what you're made of here in this town. A lot of people here. Yeah, well, there's that. And the other thing is, there's a because is, I drove a cab for a long time, New York has a collective psychology. And what I mean by that is there's so many of us in such a small place that we're all in the same mood. So I would tell you in my cab, the first guy I picked up, if he was in a good mood, I was going to have a good day. But if the first guy got in screaming, chances are the next 38 were going to be screaming. And New York today specifically on the day you came back is in a pretty good mood probably because you're here. But I still witnessed a lot on 6th Avenue on my way into the building. Have you ever seen Road Rage? I want to ask you this really quick where there's an incident that's so egregious that the people on foot are getting involved. Oh, yeah. I saw one of those today. There's a guy actually on foot yelling at two drivers in an intersection like, you should have let him go straight. You should have made a left. That's the kind of passion New York invokes. Now, I know you didn't come here to give traffic directions, but uh, I am glad to see uh, you look great. You're you. You have your energy. Um, the first question I wanted to ask you, you were over there for how long? Five weeks? Yeah, five weeks. I mean, it's so intense. I, I can't imagine what it's like. Um, when we watch you on TV, okay, we're all, holy hell, these guys are crazy. Is there ever a moment where you don't feel crazy? Meaning, is there ever a moment where you feel sheltered and that you're not risking everything? 
I never really feel crazy amid it. Okay. It's our job, I think, to be the calm amid the storm. Yeah, yeah okay. And so there's a lot of chaos around us, uh-huh. depending on the war zone. Sometimes it's rocket fire. Sometimes it's a ballistic missile. Sometimes wow. it's small arms fire. And you've got to breathe. You've got to yeah. relax, understand that if you're panicking or you're running around, you can't get the story out. Mm-hmm. And then you also have to remember that people are relying on you to give them a clear picture of what's happening on the ground. Mm-hmm. They understand there's chaos. They understand that Russia has invaded a sovereign country. Yeah. So how do we distill this down in a way that people can grasp but then ultimately care about? Because mm-hmm. I don't think I'd be doing my job correctly yeah. if I simply showed people what was happening and didn't think about the impact that these events could have on their lives down the road but also could have on the lives of the people that we are talking to. You mm-hmm. have to make people care about people. Yeah, no. And it seems cliche, but it is really – no, critical to what we do. Well, that is why what you're doing is so important and why, you know, it is. It takes such incredible bravery. Like, I'm calling you crazy, but I do mean brave. You know, it, it is brave beyond brave. And it really makes the rest of us who are doing TV hits back here at home feel like jerks. Because they're like, oh, I know what he's going through. I was stuck in the elevator yesterday. Well, you're facing war, which is crazy. My hope on some level in watching you guys bring this stuff to life is that it gives people back here some perspective. Meaning we're so lucky back here. Like when you get back stateside, it must like clobber you every single time, you know, must really smack you in the face. You know, it's, it's almost like you made fun of Will Smith at the Oscars. You get off the plane. You're like, wow. I mean, does it? I mean, it's you hard to gratitude? readjust. It's absolutely hard to readjust. But you bring up a great point. Perspective. It mm-hmm. really does, I think, personally put things into perspective. I find that as I get older and I cover more and more conflicts around the world, I'm actually getting something personally out of these in a variety of ways, but in one particular way, and that is that incredible perspective of when I don't get something that I want. Mm -hmm. Maybe three or four years ago, I would have been upset about it. Mm -hmm. But then I think I just met thousands of people who are fleeing their homes, and they represent millions of people who are now displaced or having to go to neighboring countries because Russia started this invasion. Yep. It's, it's, that's a great point. We're talking to Trey Yangston studio. Um, in the last month, everything I thought was a problem, I've learned to laugh at. You know, oh, really, that Amazon package is in here? You'll be okay. At least there's a here, you know. And uh, those are things we take for granted every day in this country. But, man, it, it has, it, it's been heavy. Um, can I ask you this? You know, when you're there, and, you know, you're dealing with the Ukrainian people, and I've talked to a few of them on the phone. Um, you know, it's, it's the, the gravity of what they're experiencing is something that's almost impossible to articulate. But what is the mood there? Like, are there real genuine moments of humanity where anyone has time for, you know, almost like that coping mechanism of humor and lightheartedness? Or is everything really just so broken right now? I've covered a lot of war zones, and this one feels to me, and it could be in part because— We're in the middle of this war right now. This one feels different in the way that there is still room for this humanity to shine through, but Mm -hmm. it is so widespread and so serious for the entire population of Ukraine that it's limited Mm -hmm. in how much people are lighthearted because they are literally experiencing a nightmare. It's unfolding all around them. Mm -hmm. It's the sirens when there are air raids. It's the explosions in the distance. Mm -hmm. It's watching their children or trying to shield their children from seeing bodies in the streets. Oh, goodness. It's these really heavy, heavy things. But amid that, there are these moments of humanity. And sometimes it's just helping an old lady across a 
a bridge that's been bombed out and she's escaping her home. Sometimes, mm-hmm. as we saw in the metro system of Kiev, someone sharing a piece of bread with another person who is sheltering, trying mm-hmm. to get away from the bombing. And so you have all of these moments together, and I think it's important to highlight them in our coverage because mm-hmm. it's really easy amid the chaos to just focus on the bombs and the bullets and the loud bangs that happen behind us. But we have to, as journalists, dig into that and mm-hmm. figure out, well, who's affected here and how do we make people care about their story? Wow, it's, it's such fascinating stuff. Like, I'm really, I'm so blown away by what you do. Um, the, que- the other question I wanted to ask you is when you're on the ground and, and you are gathering this type of, you know, intel, um, how attuned to, I guess politics might be the wrong word, but I guess what I wanted to ask you is, is there a feeling on the ground? Like one of the things we discussed back here at home this week was that the White House walked back every third word out of Biden's mouth. Is there a concern that when you're already in a dangerous situation right, that, like this, it could be made more dangerous by, you know, the errant ways of the president? Or is that something you guys aren't really don't have the luxury of even keeping up with? I mean, I often get a chance to listen to politicians speak through the IFB before or after a A hit. hit. Okay, makes sense. And so when it's appropriate, I will talk about what we've just heard. Mm -hmm. And this isn't just for the Biden administration. Yeah, yeah, of course. I did the same thing during the Trump administration. And I remember there was one day that the Secretary of Defense was talking about the situation on the ground in Baghdad. Mm -hmm. And I was in Baghdad, Uh and it didn't match up with what we had seen. That's fascinating. Wow. And so we talked about how the Trump administration was not really speaking in a way that matched the reality on the ground. And we did the same thing in Ukraine when officials from the Biden administration commented about what was happening. And we also, I think, have to give an understanding to viewers about the tone and the feeling on the ground. And Mm -hmm. so When Vice President Kamala Harris was laughing and joking alongside the president of Poland, I expressed this and I said this to to Howie Kurtz as well on air. As journalists, we should call for a split screen. And when there are politicians sort of making light about anything, when there's a really serious, deadly situation happening on the ground, it doesn't matter what party they're from. They should be shown alongside the reality for the civilian population that they're talking about so that viewers can have a firm understanding This is what's being said by politicians, left and right, and this is what is happening to the civilians they're talking about. Yeah, I mean, that's that's heavy. It's a brilliant idea, though, you know. And you see, one of my greatest frustrations is I don't feel like as a country we play team ball anymore. I feel like we got to such a hyper-partisan place in the era of digital politics that people root for their party harder than they root for their country. You know, I always hope in a moment like this, you know, where there was a lot of in the first three weeks support for Ukraine here domestically. Everybody changes their profile picture and, you know, we make a donation. But beyond that, there's not a heck of a whole lot we can do. But I always look for ways we can help ourselves. And it's always my hope that in this moment, moment, we would get that perspective back here at home that, hey, you know, we should be thankful for this thing we have. Stop cannibalizing it. Um, But I don't know that we're there. And that's that's my biggest frustration is I I think there is a teachable lesson here for us in terms of how we do politics at home that hasn't necessarily been heated because there's so much infighting still. Does that frustrate you guys when you're over there? Do you feel like we're doing enough back home uh, to, you know, I guess the term we use a lot is de-escalate. Are we doing enough to de-escalate back here at home or, or are we not? I think about this scene from the movie Hotel Rwanda where one of the characters basically says there's going to be people all around the world who look up from their dinner at the TV and they say, wow, that's so horrible. I can't believe that. And I'm paraphrasing here, but that's the yeah, yeah. gist of what they say. And then they'll go back to eating dinner. Yeah. And I always say 
my goal is not to make people go back to dinner and say, all right, let's pack our bags. We've got to go to Ukraine and help or mm-hmm. fight. My goal is to get people to talk about it, yeah. to care enough that it's a conversation topic they would discuss over dinner. Mm-hmm. And when you talk to people in the U.S. and they say, wow, that was really crazy and you're so brave to be there. I always try to steer the conversation back to the people Mm -hmm. and the people who are most affected and also put them into perspective, right? Because this plays out like a movie for many people who are watching it. They see the bombs and they see the explosions and they see the troops lined up and the tanks in the streets. But the Ukrainians that we were talking to just days before this war started were living a very similar life to you and I. Yep. They were going to the local coffee shop to grab a double espresso. They Whoa. were going to their favorite band and listening to music. It's, it's crazy. Well, all I can tell you is this was a fantastic hang. No one's going to the coffee shop, though. They're all going to the bar. This was heavy, but we're glad you're back. It's great to see you, and we really do. We thank you and appreciate your work so much, man. It was an honor to hang out with you. Thanks. I, I'm, honestly, I put on my nice leather jacket, can't you tell? Just for you. <laughs> I like The it. great Trey Yangst. Welcome back, buddy. Thank you. From everywhere USA, it's Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. It's the best of Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. From the greatest country on the planet, it is Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. Saluting and remembering all the brave men and women who put on the uniform to protect this country and its freedoms. It is a Memorial Day episode of the show. In this hour, Bill Barr former attorney general for this country under two presidents, George H.W. Bush, as well as Donald Trump, takes us inside his journeys in and out of the White House in an interview that I consider to be one of the best things we've ever done on this show. Just such a fascinating dude, brilliant mind, incredible sense of humor. I am honored to bring you this hour with Bill Barr. Hey, thanks for having me on. You really read my book? I Listen, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna piggyback on someone else's praise. I was on America's Newsroom with the great Dana Perino, mm-hmm. and she said you're gonna love his book. She specifically said it was the best version of this type of memoir she has read. Dana Perino, wow, wow. and I would add to that that it makes a phenomenal coaster. If you've got like nice wood, <laughs> you know you don't want to stain the oak. Right, right, you know you don't right. want condensation ruins a coffee table. <laughs> Let me tell you one damn thing after the other. It's thick enough. Yeah. That you're not going to run That'll into last an issue. You a while. Yeah, you're not right. going to run yeah. into an issue. Right. Uh, but first, I should start by congratulating you. You survived outnumbered. You just did an hour of outnumbered yeah, with Kennedy and Kaylee. That was great. And, it was a lot of fun. Well, I, I did it on Friday. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it's a wonderful show to be back in studio because you can actually, you know, you don't have the delay anymore. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean by mm-hmm. that? Right. The delay for TV people was a little much after a while because you go to say, like, you know, sometimes I'd make a joke. You hear nothing. You move on to the next point, and now they laugh. And to you, it's very incongruent. You know what I mean? Because my joke might have been about roller skating, but now we're talking about, like, Title 42. And I'm like, who are these psychos laughing at a surge in border crossings? And then you realize you're the weirdo. But here we go. Our our, uh, producer, Mike Advanski, you bring it in the AG's water. Make sure he didn't spike it, by the way. All right. I know All you right. just got off the couch. The Mikey's been known. He's 25, so he still plays pretty <laughs> loose ball on this show. Uh, but he's here, and we wanted you to feel at home. You know, Fox Cross America is like the Olive Garden. When you're here, you're family. That's what we do. Uh, so get that in you. And if you're just joining us, A.G. Bill Barr is in studio. We're doing this. So let's start here because I read this thing 
coast to coast as I promised you I would. I have so many questions. But here's something that's not covered in the book. You worked uh, as a served as attorney general under George H.W. Bush. Right. Okay. When his son, W., became president, he brought back a lot of people from the first administration. So the question is, who did you piss off in H.W. Bush's administration that you didn't come back under W.? Uh, I didn't piss anyone off. Oh, I, I was kidding. I'm sorry. No, no. I needed to make some money. I needed to make some money. So I was uh, at Verizon as general oh, okay. counsel and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, wasn't interested in going in. Now, at one point, they had a presidential personnel call, and she said, uh, you know, would you be interested in this job or that job? Mm-hmm. And I just wasn't. Very uh, good. Yeah, she said – I said, I always wanted to be the head of CIA. And she said, well, would you like to be head of CIA? And I said – no. She said, why not? And I said, because you can't kill anybody anymore. <laughs> <laughs> they, they took the fun out of the game. All right. So that segues perfectly into something I loved from the book. During your time at Horace Mann, yeah. and everyone should know this, you grew up on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, 116th and Riverside, if I'm not correct. Right. Did you go to Sal and Carmine's Pizza, by the way? Did you ever eat Sal and Carmine's 101st and Broadway? You no. pro- okay, I don't no. know if you'd know. We it. went to V&T's, which oh, was on Am- Amsterdam and 110. Yes, world class. And, and, and V&T's was just fantastic. V&T will hang with anybody. Where yeah. I lived, I lived for a while on 102nd and Broadway. Yeah. And we had Sal and Carmine right across the street. So right. it became like a territorial thing. Yeah. Where we had to pretend we didn't like V&T. You know, yeah. then you, <laughs> the, there was an old Super Bowl commercial where they're playing You're Cheating Heart by Hank Williams. And the Pepsi delivery guy accidentally, he reaches for a Coke. And right. all the everything spills out. That would have been me. So right. I, I always had to talk down V and T while I went to Sal and Carmine. Yeah. But it's fascinating. Well, while you were at Horace Mann and aspiring to be the head of the CIA, as you had written in the book, uh, you did something that we thought was the greatest thing in the world. You organized something called Calcudate. That's right. Which was a co-ed mixer mm-hmm. with gals. From, I believe some of them were at Dalton, where your father taught. Which he was, was the headmaster. Yeah. Headmaster. Yeah, yeah. Which is you weren't supposed to be doing, by the way. That's right. <laughs> Well, he he, uh, he had some harsh words. <laughs> but I love this story so much because you you were in an all, an all boys school, right? Uh, and which was a little bit of a change of pace from Corpus Christi, which right. you talked about extensively. Yeah. But it was a co-ed mixer, and the ruse was people were being matched based on computer algorithms. Is that not what it was? That's what we did. So, <laughs> you know, when I I, I was a junior, uh-huh. and there were about a hundred guys, and. Uh-huh. I passed out the Calcudate forms, and I claimed that I had access to computers at Columbia University. Now, pe- <laughs> people knew that you know that was cheek, but uh, they filled out. And then, and then we had girls from my father's school, mm-hmm. Dalton, and from Riverdale Country Day School. Mm-hmm. And then the computers went to work, which consisted <laughs> of me and a couple of my buddies and a girl from each school, uh-huh. and we sort of divvied up divvied up people. And, and, but it worked out. Friends of mine did very well. <laughs> <laughs> Enemies, it. not so Because well. <laughs> you're, you're kind of seeding the teams. I right. get it. So, uh, you know, I went out with a very nice girl. But my, my, uh, my father heard about this and mm-hmm. he said, you're pimping out my girls. <laughs> I said, no, this is, you know, this was a match. This was calculating. <laughs> it was more sophisticated And he said, if that. you touch one of my girls while she's still in my school, I'm going to castrate you with a rusty nail clipper. <laughs> 
that got my attention. Oh, there's so much in this book that got my attention. The book is one damn thing after another. Your former Attorney General Bill Barr is in studio. Uh, your father, you and your father both went to Columbia, which right. it leaped out at me at the contrast in styles because my father and I both went to Hooters. Uh, <laughs> not, quite, not quite Columbia. We learned a lot. We learned a lot. You know, so, there's a lot of culture there. You know, wings, a lot, of, a lot of wing recipes. But uh, I, I found it fascinating because the school you went to. And I want to speak to this a little bit. It was Corpus Christi up on the west side, uh, George Carlin, a famous uh-huh. alumnus. Yes. And I believe it was 2010 that you reached out to Sister Lucinda, yeah. uh, who had such a profound impact on you in your early years. Right. And you guys kind of reconvened. And I wanted to start there because in this country right now, I think, and you kind of speak to this in the book, that we're witnessing a failing in the home. In that education, as you wrote in the book, it really does start in the home, and that's really the focal point of education. Do you feel like on some level we're being plagued by almost like a paucity of, of, I don't know if it's parental commitment or what it is, but that kids aren't being sent into the world just from their house prepared to function and contribute? Yeah, I mean, I think, frankly, I don't think it's because the parents want to do it. I think they're they're very busy. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're they're stretched in 101 different directions, and and they sort of psychologically, we've gotten into the idea that we sort of outsource the raising of our children to the mm-hmm. state, yep. to state schools, and I think that's a mistake. Uh, and uh, uh, parents, you know, have primary responsibility, and the state has very limited authority in this or should have limited authority in this area. Was what I would like to think, but something you wrote about a lot in the book about the scourge of radical progressivism right? is that we and, – and this is essentially um, – without getting too far into political stuff, which I want to talk to you about later, but this is essentially what brought you back into politics as you were concerned after four years of Barack Obama that we were headed down a really dangerous trajectory if in fact Hillary Clinton wound up being our president. Is that not kind of what pulled you in? Absolutely. I think the, the progressives uh, had become, uh, you, you know, uh, in the driver's seat in the Democratic Party under Obama. Mm-hmm. And I felt that their whole program was uh, going to destroy this country. And they had moved so far to the left. And uh, when I saw them trying to destroy and bring down President Trump with this bogus Russiagate stuff, mm-hmm. uh, that's what got me off the bench. Well, I was going to ask you that. As a guy who aspired to be the head of the CIA— uh, and then turned it down when they took all the fun out of the game. <laughs> <laughs> you know, nobody wants to watch The Sopranos on basic cable because they don't show any of the good scenes. Now they're right. not cursing anymore. Right. It's like when Tony Soprano comes in and like throws someone down a flight of stairs and says, you didn't cook the ziti. Right. I don't believe that's why he's mad. And I like ziti. I might get paid in ziti. But that's not – I know. I can see through it. And yes, you didn't want to be the Sopranos on A&E. I respect that. We're yeah. talking to Attorney General Bovar. But as, a, as, as someone who aspired to lead the CIA and has served this country on so many fronts, we are not a little – I guess is the word disappointed? Is that too easy of a word with what the intelligence community has become both in the run-up to the 2016 election and even the aftermath as it pertains to maybe the Hunter Biden laptop and their commitment to get that thing squashed? Does that – on some levels that bother you? Like what do you characterize that as? Well, I, I – you know, I haven't seen the CIA, the CIA involved in all of that. OK, fair. Uh, yeah. it's, mm-hmm. it's been mainly the FBI. But I think all of these uh, institutions have been similarly affected. It's not just a question of the corruption of the intelligence community or the Justice Department or this or that. They're all changing. They've all changed. They've all become more – uh, political part of that is generational. Part mm-hmm. of that are the younger people coming in. Part of it is lack of courage among 
uh, managers, among mm-hmm. supervisors. But I think all of our institutions have been politicized. Yeah, it's concerning to me, and something you wrote about too is how in the media, you know, the traditional canons of journalism have kind of evolved to be that they see themselves now as societal agents of change. Right more than actually just tellers of the story, right. that's not a sustainable trajectory. Do you think there's a course correction coming? You know, you know, they say necessity is the mother of invention. Will the media realize the, the peril they're putting themselves in by doing this, do you think? No, I don't think the media will realize it. I think there will be a course correction in the country just as there was. See, this reminds me of what happened in the 60s and mm-hmm. 70s. The Democrats took a hard left turn because of Vietnam largely. Mm-hmm. And they had division in their party just the way they do now. So what did they do? They Mm -hmm. tried to cover up that division by bringing in this empty vessel. In those days, it was Jimmy Carter. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now they bring in the empty vessel, literally. I was going to ask you that. President Biden. (laughs) And and they both are going to be failed one-term presidents. And I think they've laid the groundwork, the reaction against the obvious excesses. of The American people have to learn the bankruptcy of the left every 30 or 40 years. They have to see it. That's a good way of saying it. Yeah, and, and, and they see how bankrupt it is. No, yeah. no good ideas. They're overwhelmed by their problems. You know, mm-hmm. Just like Jimmy Carter you know, had mal- th- blamed the American people and just said, I can't do anything yeah. about it. Now they're saying the same about Biden. So I think the groundwork is being laid for a transforming election just the way Ronald Reagan transformed the country. The media, I think, will ultimately uh, be a – they will, they will be corrected by the proliferation of voices, by the marketplace. Well, it would be great to see it happen. Yeah. We could definitely use it. Bill Barr is in the studio. One quick one then before we wrap our first break. I had read somewhere in this book uh, – this might have been related to your anemia – that is it true that they were feeding you a pint of Guinness a day from the age of 5 yes, till 12? absolutely. So when I was 5 years old, I – was walking to kindergarten and fell over, and they took me to the hospital, and they, I had anemia. Mm-hmm. They were going to do operation because the doctors thought I had a shadow growth on, on my heart. Yeah. Some thought it was a shadow. Some thought it was a, gro- a growth. So my grandmother, who was Irish, you know, shows up with a priest, and they both checked out the situation, and they said, no, 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 no operation. What he needs is a glass of Guinness's stout <laughs> every day. And from that time until I was about 13 or 14, uh-huh. Every day, wow. I had a glass of Guinness's stout. Now, can we corroborate? Now, now you see. <laughs> I, now you see. I don't suffer uh, from anemia. <laughs> Funny, my Guinness. Well, I just can we? Has anyone corroborated that this was done at the behest of a mom and a doctor, or should we be having an intervention? Is my it was question. A, it was a grandma and a priest. Okay, okay. it was legitimate grandma. though. Yeah, okay, it was totally legitimate. Because I, I know a lot of kids when I was in middle school that would love to run with this one. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to stick with juice boxes, but yeah. my grandma and my priest. Right. Well, I had three brothers and. They all were very envious of me. <laughs> when, it? it is really funny to think about like parental you know, standards because I can tell you raising kids, I probably could have lost custody if my teething kid was drinking brandy like I was. But I had brandy on my gums as a kid. Yeah, sure. And I did uh, – you know, it's controversial, but I, I'm, I grew up in an Italian house. Mm-hmm. Um, and not only did we get spanked, I grew up in an era where your parents – not only did they use weapons, like a belt or a spoon, yes. but you had to go get it for them. Which was it was a little much. Man. That that was uh, that that is. Pretty <laughs> My father would carry in his old army belt and, oh, he'd, wow. and he'd hang it on the doorknob of oh. the room where the altercations were. <laughs> and if oh, they no. didn't stop right away, you knew that that belt would be used. <laughs> oh man! 
<laughs> you know, listen, peace through strength, I think is what he said, is what he was doing. Yes. It was speak softly, carry a long belt. I think that was, yeah, that was your dad. A lot of people attribute that to Teddy Roosevelt. Little do they know. Uh, history lesson uh, continues after this with Attorney General Bill Barr on Fox Across America. A show so good, it's hard to describe. It's not a matter of, it's a matter of, you just, oh, in the club, I mean, um, as, as, and, uh, you know. It's Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. You know, so, uh. It is Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. Chat with former Attorney General Bill Barr in studio. He's checking out the football I sewed in sixth grade. I got to tell you, standards were different back then, okay? Do you know what I got for that football? I actually did get a D for sewing that because Mrs. Hennessy said the seams were a little too big and the bowl wasn't (laughs) going to hold together. Wouldn't you argue nowadays I probably would get an A for that just for even showing up? Absolutely, and the seams have seemed to do do pretty well there. (laughs) They they held up better than the New York Jets that that ball was sewn in honor of. That was supposed to be a Jets green and white football. That was it. That's That pretty much sums up the Jets' existence right there. Right. It had the best of intentions in mind. Never quite came together in the end. Uh, we're talking about the former AG's fantastic new book, One Damn Thing After Another. Um, I got into this on America's Newsroom earlier today, and I wanted to get your take on it while we had time. Is there anything dumber in the history of, of politics than defund the police? Is there anything dumber than that? Is that the dumbest slogan you've ever heard? Could you top it? If no, it, it, it's by definition the dumbest because the primary uh, uh, mission of government, their duty, their primary duty, the reason we establish them is primarily to protect us mm-hmm. from bad go. guys. Uh-huh. Okay, And to say that you're not going to spend money on protecting us from bad guys is to say – you're not going to perform your duty. It's yeah, well, what's the point of having you guys? Why do we have a government? <laughs> right. What are we chipping in for? Yeah. The question you have to ask, can I actually protect myself better than the government can protect me? When the answer to that is yes. Mm. <laughs> We've got a problem on our yeah, hands. Right. It's like, listen, I, I like a do-it-yourself project as much as the next guy. Right. But I feel, I feel like law enforcement might be pushing it a little too far. Right. And I say that I come from a big law enforcement family. So both my brothers, my dad, everybody in my family is a cop but me mm-hmm. basically. Um, uncles, cousins, everybody. Right. So a lot of reverence for the police. And I understand as a former cab driver just how difficult the job is. Right. And I think this society really does take police for granted. And I think one of the big reasons why was obviously there's a lot of people who are piggybacking politically off this narrative. But it's something you wrote about in your book. The stats do not support the idea – that we have racist police. You right. know, they say the old adage, if you have the facts, pound the facts, you have nothing, pound the table. Right. They're pounding the table on racist cops, are they not? Right. Oh, totally. So, I mean, put this in perspective. Um, every day in this country, there are about 50 attacks on police, dangerous attacks on police, 50 a day. Mm-hmm. There's, approx- there's fewer than three people fatally shot by police a day. Wow. Okay. So it's about 1,000 a year. Mm-hmm. Out of all those attacks... Mm-hmm. You know, 50 a day, less than three shot a day when, when the cops are attached with, attacked with dangerous weapons. Yeah. So uh, that doesn't suggest trigger-happy police mm-hmm. by any means. No. It, it, it suggests a lot of restraint. And, you know, a thousand uh, of those thousand that are shot a year, uh, about 250 are African-American. Mm-hmm. But when you look at those – Instances, those are going to happen when you're arresting somebody, mm-hmm. when you're and, and you yeah. know, you're encountering altercations. A, yeah, this is- altercation with mm-hmm. a with a suspected criminal. Yeah. 
And because uh, somewhere between 37 and 50 percent of the crime, depending on which it is, yeah. are, are committed by African-Americans, it's not yeah. strange that, that you'd have a quarter of those shot uh, being African-American. Yeah, and they're kind of hyper-contextualizing the argument that they're being shot at a higher percentage. We're going to yeah. build on this uh, when we come back. I mean my bigger concern, as you know, is the fashion police. They want me dead for some of the clothes I wear. <laughs> we'll get into them next. <laughs> it's the best of Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. Introducing Ask Trump, the advice seminar from a man who's an expert on everything. Nobody knows the politicians better than I do. I know more about ISIS than the generals. Nobody knows more about campaign finance. Nobody knows much more about technology. Nobody knows more about environmental impact statements. I understand the tax laws better than almost anyone. He'll take your questions on everything from baseball deals. Nobody knows more about trade than me. To children's gifts. Nobody has better toys than I do. Ask Trump can improve your vocabulary. I know words. I have the best words. Audiences enjoy it so much it feels like a religious experience. Nobody loves the Bible more than I do. Ask Trump is so successful the critics are going nuclear. There's nobody that understands the horror of nuclear better than me. Ask Trump, the fastest growing advice seminar in the country. Because nobody's ever had crowds like Trump has had. It is Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. I am in studio with bagpipe legend, <laughs> handball player. You play Chinese handball with a Spaulding, Attorney General yeah, Bill Barr. That's uh, right. How is your handball game to this day? Uh, I, I don't move around as fast as I <laughs> you, don't have, you know the lateral movement? <laughs> he's, he's lost a step. Right. All right. Well, I won't. I was going to hustle the other show that comes on after this. Into you a and me against man. them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought we'd make yeah. some money off. I think it's Guy Benson and yeah. his producer, but maybe I'll hold on to my money. Uh, the book, it is called One Damn Thing After Another. It is a phenomenal read. We have been discussing it uh, as well as former Attorney General Barr's time serving two presidential administrations. Uh, one of the things, before I get into I have a couple of Trump questions. I know it's going to shock you. And for whatever reason, nobody wants to talk about the guy. I'm going to go out on a limb. Okay. I'm going to do some real journalism here, and I'm going to go out. We're going to talk Trump. But you had said it. This fascinated me because I grew up uh, in Levittown, New York, the biggest post-World War II settlement yeah. for American GIs returning home from war. We were all in on the joke. Like if you lived in America, you hit the lottery. So uh, – you know, we were always, you know, obviously unapologetically pro-America, but we had perspective. You know, it wasn't that we didn't have issues with the country, uh, but we knew while we weren't perfect, we were the best. You know, the 1961 Yankees lost games. They just happened to be the best, you know, and that's right. how we always looked at America. They were our Yankees yeah. where I grew up. And uh, I grew up in a house that loved Ronald Reagan because for me, he was my first president where I was as you know, at an age where I cared, where I paid attention. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting to me that you had opined that every Republican White House is portrayed as in a state of disarray by the press. Mm -hmm. And then the Democrats are a well-oiled machine. Right. And I think you said looking back on Reagan, he kind of was – that was the best run White House you'd been a part of, would you say? Yes, it was, yeah. definitely. Reagan was the guy. Yeah, he had he had a chief of staff in, in James Baker who made everything run on time, had good process. Mm -hmm. uh, then you had the, the guy who was keeper of the ideas, the conservative agenda, Ed Meese. And then you had the guy who was constantly thinking about how to communicate. What's the visual here? You know, mm -hmm. Make sure that we – get our message out and Mike Deaver it was very effective yeah no and we listen for, for the times we were living in like we we loved Reagan he was yeah. a pop first he was a pop culture president too with a background yeah. in acting and you know we were a really big I would say you know because I came from a law enforcement family with you know obviously I grew up 
everyone was ex-military. Mm-hmm. I grew up around a lot of old men. You should never make a sudden move around. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you get punched at a barbecue or somebody right. would take you out. But the Reagan years for me kind of bled into the Bush years in that you talked about how George H.W. Bush was railroaded by the media a little yes. bit in his attempt to win re-election. There was that famous you know, scandal. It wasn't a scandal. Iraqi, it was manufactured. Yeah. yeah. Or, well, Iraqate won, but even the thing about the supermarket scanner. Right. Where to this day, a lot of people believe that. Believe Can you that. kind of give him some overview on that quick? Yeah. So, so he was at 89% popularity in March of uh, 1991. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, so 19 months before the election. And then the press went after him with a number of pseudo scandals and other mm-hmm. things. But one of the big things on him was that he had lost touch with the American people and they claimed he didn't recognize what a scanner was in, uh, at a supermarket. supermarket. Actually – and this was all – there was an accurate news report by AP on this and it was all caught on video. He was at a, he was at a convention uh, of grocers and they were showing him the latest technology and he walked over and they, he said, so this is the latest technology. This is the new mm-hmm. version yeah. of the scanner. Mm-hmm. And they said, yeah, this one reassembles torn labels. So they had a test. They tore a label up oh. into six pieces and they ran it through. And it reassembled it and came up with the right price. And he said, wow, that's amazing. So that's what he was reacting to. And, uh-huh. the, and the association put out a statement saying he was reacting to the new technology, not to the fact of a scanner. Wow. But front page New York Times and every people today believe that he didn't know what a scanner was. Wow, that is shocking because yeah. it's not like the media to go after a Republican president like that. No, it's very unusual. <laughs> I mean, wow, what's going on? I should play lotto. I didn't know this was a thing. Well, I want to start there with the election of Donald Trump because what's very fascinating to me uh, is, I, you know, the idea that an outsider truly could walk in, because for all intents and purposes, he was an outsider and no one thought he was going to win. I don't think he thought he was going to win. Right. You know, but the idea that he did actually win the presidency, I think, was cause for even in the run up to him winning it, people to abandon a lot of what traditionally would have been, you know, decorums. I know we talk a lot about his decorum, but don't you think on some level history will record how the press treated him as almost more egregious than his own personality? Absolutely. I think he was more sinned against than sinning. Yeah. Uh, and especially at the beginning when he saw what happened, before he even sworn into office, mm-hmm. he's being braced by the FBI, you yeah. know, saying, well, we have these, you know, reports about you and so forth. So it looked to him that there was a coup in progress before he even in was sworn time. in. Yeah. 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 Well, that's an interesting part. We're talking to former Attorney General Bill Barr, and I wanted to discuss that whole idea that, you know, Trump, I think, over the course of his four years in the White House, came to understand, and I think a lot of people did, that there was nothing beneath the Democrats when it came to stopping him. Like if they were talking about him slandering dead veterans and stuff in between. You know, we didn't – there weren't a lot of instances of them drawing the line, if you will. No, the rules rules simply did not apply. He was was an uh, existential threat Mm -hmm. to them. Uh, and, there, you know, Trump derangement sy- uh, syndrome is a real thing. Yes. I mean, they, they just lost their mind about him. You can do that anywhere. I always say this on Twitter. I say Twitter is, if you remember the movie Fight Club, I say Twitter is like a fight club for people who don't want to get hit. And you can mm-hmm. go on there and just say, like, it's my dog's birthday. And right. then somebody will be like, yeah, but Trump. Yeah, like, Trump right. has nothing to do with my dog. Right. He didn't vote. I mean, he probably could have if he was a Democrat. But let's stay focused here. Right. Um, we're talking about the election. So to start, this is what I wanted to ask. As someone who served under multiple presidents, how seismic was it 
that he actually won in terms of the change in Washington, in terms of what that represented to the status quo. I don't even necessarily mean his policies. I just mean the reality that people in Washington got out of bed one day and one of them didn't have their hands on the levers of power. Did that – can we calculate, comprehend how much it shook things up? No, I think you're right. I mean it was – it was – it, it, it was stunning. It was it was mind boggling, especially to the to the so called establishment. Mm-hmm. Um, the I think what brought him to power was the frustration of the working and middle class. Uh, mm-hmm. They were uh, upset at the excesses of the progressives, mm-hmm. of the smug indifference, and uh, uh, mm-hmm. you know of the, of the elites and uh, the media. Mm-hmm. The media was just driving them crazy because they saw what it was all about. It was just lies. And Trump stuck it to all of them. No, he did. I mean, his political middle fingers go. Right. This goes down as – this is like a foam finger you get at a stadium. It's a big finger. Right. And and a lot of working class and middle class families wanted to stick – yeah. Flip the bird. <laughs> Flip the bird. Yeah, it was. <laughs> and, and they were tired of, of you know, sort of what they f- felt were a lot of the Republicans mm-hmm. uh, or moderate Republicans playing ball with the, with the uh, liberals. But you would probably say then, as someone who was ultimately drawn to support him, because I know from the get-go, I think you wrote about supporting Jeb Bush, right. like a lot of his policies, relationship there. Uh, but you ultimately made your way down to Donald Trump because you said at the end of all of this, all yeah. of the discussion about radical progressivism yeah. and everything else, you said there's no way Hillary Clinton is a morally superior person <laughs> right. to Donald Trump. Yeah. There's a funny thing about elections is you have a choice of two people, you know, <laughs> I, unless you want to throw your vote away. But if yeah. one of two people is going to be the president, mm-hmm. then you should make your best decision. Yep. And it's a and, and you it's usually done in comparison with the others. Okay. <laughs> and it's funny you know, how that works. Yeah. yeah. And and there was never any question in my mind that that mm-hmm. uh, Trump was a better uh, would and, be a better president. And, and I think you would argue, uh, even though I know you guys have disagreements on how the aftermath of the election was handled, you would argue substantively he was probably – he was a pretty good president in terms of slashing yeah, he, regulations and you know, boosting the economy. And stuff. I didn't have any problem uh, up, up to the election mm-hmm. uh, with, with Trump or especially his policies. They were extremely successful. Mm-hmm. And he brought a lot of energy to the job and he rolled over a lot of the inertia in Washington. Mm-hmm. And what I say is, you know, some of the things that people object to in him, you yeah. know, his impulsiveness, sometimes his obnoxious uh, pugnacity and so forth, they had a good side to them too, mm-hmm. which is uh, the ability to break through the inertia and push things through. Look what he did on the border. Yeah. I mean, we had all these district court judges around the country fighting us tooth and nail to stop us and, you know, he just kept on pushing until we actually solved the border problem. Imagine that. Yeah. Because now the border is just, you know. Yeah. Which is self-inflicted. Yeah. You know, they say that, you know, Biden, Biden, you know, can't do anything about it. He broke it. Yeah. It was fixed. He could have just left it the, as is. The, the wait in Mexico policy was a success. People were not even leaving to come here because, because they, they knew they wouldn't in. get in. He puts up a, you know, hey, you're invited, the freebie, come on in. And, you know, surprise, not yeah. only are people coming from South America, they're coming from all over the world, including terrorists. And I don't think the average person in this country, if they don't live in a border town, they, they don't really comprehend right. that this isn't a southern border problem. This is a 50-state problem when it right. comes to fentanyls and cartels and stuff like uh, yeah, that. Yeah, right. And I think by that definition, in terms of prioritizing the American people, I don't think you could make a comparison between Trump and Biden. I almost think it'd be unfair to Trump because a lot of what he did really did prioritize America, whereas Biden hasn't really seemed to be 
right. you know, the staunch defender of of citizenship, would right. you not say? Absolutely. He's he's kowtowing to the progressive wing of the Democratic Party, which is exactly the opposite. Yeah. They hate America. Isn't it? Cra- it's crazy. But that's what's going on. And that's the thing that actually drives me crazy that I think a lot of us appreciated about President Trump. Now, answer me this. Did did Melania Trump really during your confirmation hearing stick up for you and say you were doing a great job? That's what the president told me. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Has any first lady been treated worse, almost neglected? I mean, when you think of her qualifications. Yeah, I would say this all the time to my wife and, you know, my kids when we were talking about it is how unfair it was. You know, these other first ladies on the cover of Vogue and all Uh these magazines and so forth, uh, uh, sometimes it's like turning a (laughs) silk purse into a sow's ear, but they do it (laughs) nonetheless. And here you have a a supermodel. Uh, you know, speaks multiple languages. Speaks multiple languages. Very, you know, I, yeah. I was impressed with how intelligent and incisive she is, and yet she gets, you know. And I don't want to, I don't want to denigrate Jill Biden's accomplishments because she speaks two English, uh, two languages, English and Joe, uh, as a lot of people know. And if she can translate Biden, that's not nothing. I think you'd agree. Um, let me ask you. <laughs> it took you a minute there. Sorry. <laughs> Bill Barr's in studio, and he's keeping up with the group. Let me ask you this because this is what I found so fascinating and I think you've talked the most about this so I won't spend too much time on it. But in the aftermath of the election when you and the president had your disagreements about fraud and something you wrote about in the book which I found interesting is just because the president was claiming there was fraud everywhere doesn't mean it was nowhere. There were levels of fraud. They just didn't rise to the level of what he was being told. And is that your biggest concern that in the post-election day fallout he had people within his cabinet that were telling him what he wanted to hear? Not in his cabinet, mostly people on the outside. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, so fraud is is one thing, but there are other things that can mm-hmm. happen that skew the election unfairly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, last minute rule changes, Zuckerberg are spending a lot of money in Hunt democratic areas, yep. suppressing the news. You know, talk about interference in the election. Yeah, that is much more serious than than what the Russians were up to in mm-hmm. terms of suppressing true information. But uh, then you have people not following the rules, mm-hmm. you know, skirting the anti-harvesting rules and yep. things like collecting ballots and mm-hmm. stuff. But those things, you don't, you don't get to throw out the vote just because they're violations of those rules. You still have to show that the votes were not valid votes. Okay. And I, I was upset because he, fraud means the votes were invalid mm-hmm. and, and there simply was not sufficient evidence of that. And I thought the president lost uh, because he had ticked off, you know, a, critical group of voters in the mm-hmm. suburbs. Mm-hmm. But I think ultimately they were trying to pass the bill onto the DOJ and that the people promising right. him widespread fraud right. were saying, oh, we'd have it if only Barr would get off his butt and yeah. quit playing the bagpipes. Yeah, it was sort of weird that you know, so Rudy Giuliani would go into court and he would say to the court, we are not alleging fraud. <laughs> OK. They were alleging you know, yeah. violations of rules mm-hmm. and – which were not in the department's jurisdiction. Yeah. And – then he would go over to the president and say, the only reason we can't find fraud is because the Justice Department isn't looking for it. <laughs> we were looking for fraud and, and we just didn't find fraud that was widespread enough mm-hmm. to affect the election. Crazy. Uh, well, you were too busy organizing a calculate. <laughs> Bars over there with his dating algorithm. We can't find any votes. See, if I stuck with that, I would have been like, you know, Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> you mentioned yeah. that in the book. Yeah. You were ahead of Mark Zuckerberg. I was Zuckerberg. ahead of my time. Well, one thing I want to add to the mail in voting is that 
you wrote about how there was a Democratic committee in 2005 chaired by Jimmy Carter yeah. that warned extensively I, against the potential for fraud as it pertains to mail-in of voting. Of course. Mail-in voting, especially universal mail-in, where they send the ballot out to the last known address. You have mm. hundreds and hundreds of ballots sloshing around the system, okay? That and harvesting are the two main two main uh, areas where it engenders fraud. Don't you think really quick then, uh, before we go to break, I think on some level January 6th got in the way of us really collectively taking a look at election integrity. And that's my concern is the last two losing parties have alleged fraud because make no mistake about it. Everything Trump is saying, I could play you a three minute montage of Democrats saying the machines were hacked in 2016 and Kamala Harris is on and you can hear Hillary. They can all say it. Do you think it would be for the best of the country if we actually took a look at election integrity or do you think they use January 6th as a justification to get past it? They're trying to get past it. I mean, and this is what I said all the way leading up to the election is I thought the Democrats we, – we're playing with fire. The Democrats have been playing with fire. They want to run elections according to the honor system. Yeah. But in a closely divided country like ours with so much at stake, unless people have trust in the, in, in the integrity of the election, it doesn't matter whether there's fraud or not. Yeah. They're not going to trust the result. Yeah. And so what we have to do as a society is really – uh, put all the protections in place on election day so we can have confidence in the yeah. outcome. No, I think that's who could be who could object to having confidence that it's accurate. It's certainly, uh, it would come in handy yeah. just knowing knowing <laughs> what we know. Uh, give us a little bit less to do on Twitter, but maybe that's a good right. thing. Right. Uh, a little more with Attorney General Bill Barr after this. You're listening to Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. I enjoyed it. It was an unbelievably interesting experience. It is Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. We're laughing it up with former Attorney General Bill Barr. We were talking about the humor of Ronald Reagan. He delivered probably pound for pound the best joke in the history of presidential debates when he sank Walter Mondale's ship. If you remember, he was asked during his reelection bid about the prospect of his age being yeah, an issue. He wouldn't hold his, uh, the inexperience and youth of his opponent <laughs> against. It was funny because you could see Mondale's recognition of the roar of laughter. And he was like, oh, I lost the election. I can get out of here now. We were saying off the air that Gipper was the man. Reagan was the man. He was the man. He could he could move public opinion by 15 or 20 points with one speech. Wow, that is crazy. Really quick, do you have any mottos you live by? Like never do business with a guy whose last name is a city or anything like that? Don't shove a crooked stick up a straight man's ass. He <laughs> <laughs> can't. I said Bill Barr was playing prison rules. I delivered on my campaign promise. And that is going to do it for a special Memorial Day episode of Fox Across America. Our prayers, our thoughts, our thanks with all who put on the uniform and sacrifice so much to give us our freedoms. If you're in front of a TV later, you can watch me make my debut on The Five with Dana Perino, Kennedy, Geraldo, and Tyrus. One way or the other, we're back here tomorrow to do the show live. Until then, be a Republican. Be a Democrat. Just don't be a... Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on Outkick.com forward slash watch. Listen to the show ad free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.